Yo, what's up, guys and gals? Uh, tonight's Gravity Lab Radio is brought to you by Option Studios. You know of, you've heard of, you love Option Studios. They make the best jerseys on the market. Their pro's jersey is the most comfortable, the nicest. I love their jersey. You've heard enough about them. I want to share a little bit more about a personal experience about Option Studios tonight to give you an idea of how much these guys and gals care. Recently, the Rating Center ordered brand new shirts. We have run out of stock of our Rating Center shirts. We give these shirts out to candidates as they earn ratings, and we also sell them. If you're interested in buying them, hit me up. But new shirts coming out. We ordered new colors, colors we haven't had before, and these shirts got done. Everything is good to go. Adam Buckner is about to ship him out, but in his final quality control, he's looking at the shirts, and one of the colors did not print well. He can't explain why, nobody understands why, but the ink did not sit well with that color jersey, and it just didn't look right in his opinion. So at their cost, of course, I didn't make the mistake, I didn't have the problem, and without me even knowing about it, they immediately ordered, overnighted the same color shirt, made sure they got those blanks in from the same source, of the same style, and had them printed immediately the next day, and made any adjustments until they had exactly what was right. The attention to detail that Option Studios puts in products is second to none. They make sure you get what looks best. Adam was telling me the story, and we were talking about it, and I thanked him. And he said, I won't put out anything I won't wear myself. Man, Option Studios, they care. They take pride in ownership of the products they build. He knows his name goes out on every product, and he knows people take pride in what they have and what they wear, and he takes as much pride in it as we do in giving them out and having them out to other people. You'll find other graphic designers out there, but you won't find many who will invest the way Adam does. Option Studios not only does work for the Rating Center, they also do work for Gravity Lab Radio. And if you've watched tonight's episode, you've seen a new logo on the screen. Uh, if you have not, you soon will see our new film festival posters out there. And just the other day, I sent Adam an email describing a feeling I had. I sent him one image, one song, and some words that describe how I was feeling about this new film festival poster. And when he got back to me, the poster nailed it on the head. I showed that poster to my wife at dinner the other night, last night, and she was blown away. She was, oh my God, that is killer. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. How does he come up with these things? And then I showed her the email I sent him. She read the email. She looked at the picture. She looked at the song, and she goes, he nailed it. I can't describe or I can't picture what you're describing in words until Adam puts it together. He is so in touch with me as a customer. He is so in tune with what I try to tell him that he can translate what I'm saying into artwork, and he does a wonderful job. Not only does, it do, does he do a great job communicating with me through this process of, of design and initial ideas, he sends me a rough draft going, is this the right direction? Yes, sir. You've nailed it. You're going the right way. Awesome. Here's the finished product. Here's the, uh, what are the problems? immediately is ready for feedback, is immediately asking for issues, not saying this is the finished product, except that this is the finished product. Where are the problems? What issues do we need to fix? 
And there were only a couple. They were things that I hadn't explained to him clearly. They were content, like, hey, it's the film festival flyer. The date might be wrong. The details of the rules of the competition might be wrong. That's what it all was about. Um, there were a couple graphic details that when I saw, I'm like, oh, my God, you need to include. And there are three great Easter eggs in that poster. Thanks to Adam for doing that. And those ideas were uh, were mine, but he was phenomenal implementing it. So whether it's initial design, whether it's final uh, implementation, Adam is in tune and in touch with his customers and does a good job listening to you. Tonight, I'd also like to throw a big shout out to Jump for the Rose. Jump for the Rose is a grassroots skydiving organization. It's for men, it's for women, but Jump for the Rose is dedicated to raising funds for the Rose, a Houston-based or Houston-area breast cancer clinic. They are there. They're, they're, the clinic's mission is to reduce deaths from breast cancer by providing screening, diagnostic, and access to treatment for women regardless of their ability to pay. So many breast cancer foundations are there for research, and that is necessary. But saving today's patients is just as important, if not more important. And the Rose does just that. The president of Jump for the Rose, the founder of Jump for the Rose, Marion Sparks, was actually saved by the Rose, and she swore she would give back. And she's done just that. Through Jump for the Rose, she has raised way more than she has ever uh, received from them, and she continues to do so regularly. This coming October, October 5th, at Skydive Spaceland Houston, they're going to have Jump for the Rose Pink Fest Boogie. It's a wonderful time, all sorts of cool skydiving, and all sorts of cool little raffles where they're raising money to donate to the Rose. Make sure you make it out. Make sure you meet these wonderful women. If you can't make it, and even if you can make it, you can go to jumpfortherose.org and donate to the Rose by a simple donate button they have on their website. Also, if you use Amazon, use smile.amazon.com. Go to smile.amazon.com. You can select a nonprofit organization of your choice. And man, choose whatever organization you support. But I strongly encourage you to find Jump for the Rose. And whenever you check out using smile.amazon.com, Amazon donates 0.05% of your total purchase to Jump for the Rose or whatever organization you've chose. It doesn't cost you any more money to use smile.amazon.com. It doesn't charge Jump for the Rose any money. It is purely out of Amazon's pocket. And this does add up over time. Delete the app, uh, Amazon app from your phone and install or, or save the homepage smile.amazon.com. I use that on my phone. It actually works just as well as using the app. I'm just going to what looks like an app, but it's just a link to smile.amazon.com and it raises money. Even if you go to Amazon.com, if you use the app, you're not going to be donating money to the charity you chose unless you choose and go to smile.amazon.com. Support Jump for the Rose. Support your friends. Support breast cancer uh, and the cure for breast cancer by using smile.amazon.com. Choose Jump for the Rose and help those ladies out. Speaking of ladies, tonight I have a wonderful lady on the program, a friend of mine, a wonderful woman named Woodbury Rowland. Woodbury is a tunnel instructor, a skydiving, a skydiving instructor, and she is a gal who lived the American dream, but she chose, chose to cut away and live her dream instead. What's it take for you to cut away from your life and move into skydiving? Woodbury's going to share her version of the story. Enjoy the show. I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really exciting. All <laughs> I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. 
You are listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and Nicholas Lott. Produced by Justin Grubbs. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Are we recording yet? Gentlemen and lady, we are live. Woodbury rolling, 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 rolling. No, stop that now. (laughs) Man, it's so funny because your name, Woodbury, uh, I've asked you in the past about it and I'm going to ask it again at some point, but I hear Woodbury rolling and my immediate joke goes to Eminem. Rolling, not Eminem. What's that guy's name? Oh my God. I'm so much more offended now that you called that (laughs) cocksucker Eminem. Dude, white boys who think they rap. Give me a break. Uh, I go straight to Limp Biscuit, But we got to start with Woodbury. I think most people in this point of our adult lives have gotten over stupid childish jokes. Most. But most, most of us. And, and I actually don't think I've seen anybody really joke around about the name Woodbury in our lives together. Do they still? Not really. Mm-mm. Not? Remember this signal right here? You're already starting to air. <laughs> there there you we go. go. Get the mic on the face. <laughs> um, Woodbury, as a child, you probably heard a lot of jokes about the name. A little bit. Yeah. Oh, not too bad, though. I mean, it's pretty uh, Woodbury. I mean, so where did you get the name? Where do you, where's, where's the history of it? Let's see. It was my great-grandma's maiden name and okay. from my dad's side. And so I was the firstborn. They wanted to be original. And yeah, when I was little, didn't like it at all. But now, it's not too bad. Yeah. People remember it, which is nice. Oh, 100%. Like, your name yeah. stuck out to me right away. It's, yeah. I like unique names. Um, most people, I think, do you know my given name? Uh, a little shocked because I'm not. I don't hide it. I'm, I'm not. It's not a hidden thing. Donji is my given name. Really? Yeah. D a n j i. Donji. Um, okay. Like you know the movie Jumanji. Donji. Yeah. Just take out the Jum and it's Donji. So perfect. Oh, when the movie came out, I I hated it. I'm like, oh my god, I'm going to hear so many fucking jokes about my name in this stupid movie. And almost immediately, somebody goes, "Oh, you're like the movie Jumanji, but Donji. I got it." I'm like, oh, this movie's awesome. This movie, people finally, for once in my life, understand my effing name. So, When did DJ start then? Man, on and off as a child, I was called DJ in various places, various times. Um, the older I got, the more frequently it popped up. And uh, the hardest stick ever probably, and I don't think I've shared this one uh, yet on the show, is I grew up bowling quite a bit in ninth through 11th grade. I was very serious, very avid bowler. Um Living on military bases, that's one of the things you had to do. Um, growing up overseas, you didn't always have things to do. Um, it kept me out of trouble. It kept me from doing stupid things. And I bowled a lot of leagues. And some middle-aged white lady said, man, your name's too hard. I'm going to start calling you DJ. Because she was typing it on the screen for bowling. I'm like, yeah, people call me DJ. You're welcome to. And that entire league got to know me as DJ. And then my friends who hung out with me. And saw me bowling, started calling me DJ more, and then as life went on, it just became more and more the normal moniker. So, what was your average? My average? Uh, depends. I always got the sandbag award. Not always, but regularly. So I would start every league absolutely horrible, and I would end every league right around 2 to 205. Oh, so, nice. No, I'm not a bad bowler. I wasn't. Uh, left-handed, always had my own lane. If you, if you know anything about bowling, uh, that makes a lot of sense to you. Yeah. Um, very, very serious, very avid bowler. So three leagues a week. If that gives you an idea. Sweet. Yeah. Play pool. Pretty decent at pool. I haven't played pool for years. Haven't bowled for years. But I competed both bowling and pool. So those are two sports I'm very good at. The rest of them, I suck. If it takes athleticism, I'm not very good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're really good at uh, spinning on your back. I got that fucking crush. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Dude. So, Woodbury, 
you uh any nicknames people go by call you like recently i heard woody i had never heard that really yeah really that's the most common one for sure yeah like well when i heard it i'm like how did i not hear this before and i think it's just a lack of not hearing I think it's probably because you're too busy calling me something else. Blindberry? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where'd the name Blindberry come from? I don't know. I'll, I'll <laughs> oh, share that version on. of the story. Nick Lott's not here. So. <laughs> yeah. So guys and gals, sorry Mr. P's not here. He had a little bit of impromptu trip for Spaceland. Uh, he's at Spaceland San Marcos. He does send his apologies. No. Uh, two funny. days ago, he was like, bro, uh, was it two days ago I gave you that text message, Justin? Yeah. Yeah, two days ago, he's like, uh, bruh, I can't make did I do that bruh, right? Bruh, bruh. I can't make it. Um, Blah, 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 this business trip for Spaceland. And uh, he loves his job, but at the same time, he's always bummed that he can't be here. So I guess when you first moved here, you were doing a well, AFF jump? Was maybe it? I should tell the story. Yeah, maybe this could go sideways. Yeah, for sure. for sure. <laughs> I got the right idea. Better. Okay. So, yeah, it was probably maybe week two after arriving to Texas. And I showed up to Spaceland not knowing anyone. Came here. I was... Didn't have actually, I didn't have any AFF jumps. I was brand new off getting the rating. Mm-hmm. And Texas is pretty flat. So I started in San Diego where there's mountains and lakes, and it's no excuse, but Spaceland's flat. It's no, hard. It, it's, it's a hard reason. To spot. It's yeah, a little bit of an excuse. A little bit of an yeah, excuse. Yeah. <laughs> so they, I was doing those mentor checkout dives here. So at Spaceland, for anyone listening who doesn't know, we have to do, I think it's what, six yes. checkout dives with another AFF instructor just yeah. to make sure. Hopefully, you're on top of your game. <laughs> oh, really? Um, I'll talk more about that in a second. I want you yeah. to finish your story. Yeah. So, we're doing those six mentor jumps. I was with Fernando. I think the student was Chris. Super nice guy from California. And um, we had done a couple of the checkout dives. They gone well. Fernando says, okay, why don't you be main instructor now? And usually, at Space and you know, it's just one instructor. For these, it was two. So, that meant I was in charge of spotting. And... Um, I thought I spotted well, and this is an awful spot. <laughs> and so we ended up almost, if any, for anyone jumping at Space Land, it was about Slumber J-ish, and the student landed off. And from then on, like week two at Space Land, the nickname was Blindberry. <laughs> So, Blindberry lives but on. But for the record, that was the only time it's happened. Yeah. And that was a year and a half ago. So things have... I've learned. That taught, my, that taught me my lesson. <laughs> and to be fair, there's not a lot of major landmarks. You say a lot of drop zones like San Diego. There's yeah. mountains. There's a lot of major landmarks. Yeah. And to be fair, around Skydive Space Land Houston, there's not a lot around us at all except for the drop zone. Yeah. So it'd be really hard to see where the drop zone is when it's the only thing below you. So, you know, there is, you're right, <laughs> not a lot of things to stand out besides the DZ. So that would make Thanks it for having my back. very hard. <laughs> <laughs> but a year and a half later, the nickname name Blindberry is still pretty pretty so common. Did you steal the Blindberry stick? No. The, do, that, you, do you know what the Blindberry stick is? No. You know what it is. The one at Malfunction yeah, Junction? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say you're talking about the Malfunction Junction. Yeah, and Malfunction Junction, our Malfunction training station in Spaceland Houston, there has always been a pointer stick that is a, I don't know if it's a blind cane legitimately, but it's a big white cane with a red tip. It is a freaking walking cane for blind people. Definitely. And I, there's so many times I would grab that stick when Woodbury's doing an interview or training a student. I would just grab it and start walking around the hangar <laughs> tap of my room like, oh, I don't know where I'm going, man. And she's like, you a-hole. It's pretty funny, though. Yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah. So the mentor program, I, yeah. I kind of want to talk about that for one second because yeah. 
uh, it's not really meant to check you out. It's not really meant to, to make sure you're okay or you're good enough. Uh, at Spaceland, any new instructor to us has to do an instructor checkout jump. You got your rating somewhere else. Example, Thomas Hughes, the manager for San Marcos, right. new to the Spaceland system, highly qualified, still had to do a checkout jump where you, I think you did yours with Fudala, yeah. where we go out and we do a category D style, rollover, spin stop style skydive yeah. to prove you still have the skills you earned. What we use there though is a seasoning. The mentor program's meant to, to, to develop people more and if you're at a drop zone like ours and you have a single instructor system, it's intimidating. When I was a brand new instructor, I did my first several jumps with a senior veteran instructor. Mm-hmm. So when I landed, the first time I landed from an AFF jump, my buddy Gene's like, yo, DJ, what do you remember? He pulled. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, legitimately, <laughs> I was like, he, he pulled. Uh, like, what else do you remember? We skydived. Like, <laughs> I, my yeah. blinders on, right? No, yeah. no joke intended this case. And so uh, a lot of what I noticed in our time here, and a, and a buddy of ours, Tommy Miller, you knew, you knew Tommy, yeah? No, Tommy's no, before your time. No, he was before I got here, yeah. Tommy Miller, uh, a buddy of mine, also noticed that we had a little bit of a gap of retention with solo instructors. He's not the only one. A few other guys did as well. But in Tommy's regime of the lead instructor, uh, Jason Hyder, Tommy, myself, uh, we all talked about, and I even think Jay Venendahl was involved in this process. We talked about how can we better season these instructors. And we came up with a system that over the years has been refined to what it is today. And it's meant for what you said. You went with Fernando, a senior veteran instructor. And so what we hope you walked away with is confidence in what your skill set was. Definitely. And confidence in what you could do with a student. So if you're jumping at a single instructor system, think about it. Your first AFF jump, had you done it the way our program's designed, you would have been by yourself from day one. Exactly. Do you yeah. think that would have scared you away from the program? Yeah. And yeah, I would say so. I mean, looking back, people warned me about that coming to Spaceland is, you know, be prepared. You're doing one one instructor jumps. And but it's I mean, it's I'm so grateful. That's where I came to start start being an instructor. And I wouldn't have had it any other way if I didn't know that coming into it. But that definitely prepared me to jump into that responsibility for sure. Yeah, it was number one, the checkout dive. And then also um, having those six jumps with someone that you trust and respect as well. Yeah. And for sure, it's uh, to to be uh, clear, it's not just about seasoning you and making sure you are comfortable and capable of doing your job. Yeah. We also do throw these things out there like the checkout jump and and the uh, mentor program, STP mentor program to let incoming instructors know that we take this business very serious because Mm -hmm. you've been around enough drop zones where AFF instructors don't do the job the best. We don't need to name places, but I'm sure you could think of places, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I think it's not that the AFM instructors aren't doing their job well. I think it's that their leadership's not holding them to a standard. Mm -hmm. Because I bet you if the leadership said, yo, Woodbury, you're not doing your job the way you're supposed to, you would step in line. And I say you, I think you're a bad example because I don't think you need the reminder. Mm -hmm. I think you try to keep yourself in line. You're not somebody who needs guidance, although you take mentorship. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we do have that program, not just to give you seasoning, but also to let people know coming into our program that we're very serious about your job because we want you to make the best, safest skydivers you can. Definitely. And it does that. Yeah, absolutely. So you came in, you worked at Spaceland, mm-hmm. got the nickname Blindberry. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, I mean, that was a good learning, learning 
I guess, opportunity. But from then on, I mean, people, even with that, people were so supportive from day one. Spaceland, yeah, Spaceland was welcoming, it was accepting, teaching, and it's continued to be that way, which has been amazing. That was, so that was <clears throat> March 27, no, 2018, so a year and a half ago. Um, yep, so then I started working Spaceland. I started off just doing STP. And then probably about a month and a half into it, I did. I started doing video as well. And you actually showed up a day or two before safety day. Yeah. So it was... It was March. March, yeah. yeah. So early March. And yeah. I remember because the first time I met you, we've talked about this before together. Yeah. It was safety day. Yeah. And I'd set the speaker up to speak and present. And you were kind of sitting off, kind of off to the wings aside where uh-huh. plenty of people sit. And you're sitting a little bit by yourself. Yeah, I didn't know anyone. I was completely yeah. alone. And then when I walked yeah. onto Spaceland for the first time, I was immediately greeted. I was immediately welcomed. Now, I knew people here, but people yeah. I didn't know were the first people to greet me. Mm-hmm. Hey, are you the new guy DJ? Yeah, we heard about you. We're glad you're here. Yeah. And when I first went to Elsinore as a young jumper, I was treated the same way. They didn't say, hey, are you the new fun jumper DJ? But they greeted me like, hey, you're new here. Who are you? What are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Come join us. And they welcomed me open arms to the family. Right. And so you, it was very easy for me to think about that same attitude. You're new to our family. You're new to our group. Hey, welcome to the family. And I really like the way I was greeted by the Spaceland family. And John Walker, we've had on the show, talks about the first greeting he had with me. It was the same kind of way. He had 25 jumps. Who is this guy? Yeah. Oh, no, his name's John Walker. He's pretty, I mean, fucking what cool yeah. name is that? Yeah. Um, I just wish more jumpers and more staff and more drop zones would remember to, to welcome each other that way. Absolutely, yeah. I remember, so I actually had the job offer in Dallas, based on Dallas, Ben Nelson had hired me. I was in Florida at the time, and he said, yeah, come on out. But he also had said, if you stop in Houston and you want to stay there, then by all means, just do what's best for your life. And I remember walking into Manifest, and it was Tanya who immediately – I think that was closer to March 1st. And she immediately was like, welcome to Spaceland with this huge smile. Mm -hmm. And then that was the first impression. And from then on, I would say almost everyone last spring was was just like that. And then you stood out definitely on on, um, safety day, being like immediately coming up to me and welcoming. And that stands out on a drop zone. I mean – not all we all know not all drop zones are like that. I mean so. most drop zones you go to as a skydiving instructor, you're sized up for the first two months. Everybody looks right. at you thinking, Who's this dude who stole my money? Yep. And let's be real, if you think your drop zone's overstaffed, if you think your DZO shouldn't be bringing in more staff, it's still not the staff member's fault that they were brought in. Mm-hmm. Be mad at the person who hired them. That's your right, that's your business. I'm not gonna argue if that's good or bad. Right. But don't be mad at the person they brought in. It's not their fault. They came in and now they're in the same boat as you. Yes. Now they're on the same team as you and you guys got to skydive together. Mm-hmm. And man, it, it's you and I have, 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 have tension between us. And you shoot video of me doing a tandem. Will that tension stand out to a point? Definitely, yeah. Will that affect the tip we get tonight? Yeah. You know, you and yeah. I go out and we have a blast together. We have fun together. We laugh together. We goof off together. Will the student have more fun? Yeah. Will your tip... Get bigger. Of course. That's what yeah. she said. <laughs> Title of your sex tape. Boom. Shakalaka. <laughs> so. But since you mentioned the mentor program, I feel like that does that for incoming staff too, is it creates that bond with, say, Fernando. Mm. I did other ones with Fadala, and it, it does that to help you kind of get to know people there as well. Your little yeah. big brother? He's, he's not little. No, but in y'all, he's older than you, isn't he? 
a few years, yeah. Yeah, so he's your big brother by age, but I feel yeah. like you're the older, more mature one. So that's oh, why. Oh, I hope Fadal's listening oh. right now. Straight up, I'll <laughs> tell him Fadal. But I was joking with a with a lady friend of mine the other day. Uh, at, um, God damn, I say lady friend. I was just joking with a gal, and she's 26, I'm 45. I'm like, yeah, you're the same maturity level I am. You're a woman at 26, I'm a dude at 45. <laughs> we mature a lot slower, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Is that a question? <laughs> Apparently, it's a statement of fact for you. Yeah. <laughs> no. So. No, Fidel is definitely my big brother. He did yeah. my checkout dive, and then he had my back, too. Definitely. Yeah. He's a good dude. He's worked hard. He yeah. has uh, come a very long way. Yeah. Uh, you, you didn't get to know Fudala in his earlier days, and you got to see him after he's turned his leaf. Because Fudala definitely was on a struggling path early on. You know, earlier before the show, we talk about how some of our friends struggle with maturity and skydiving, mm-hmm. um, with partying and <laughs> skydiving and not being responsible people, and Fudala to the T. I mean, like, we, we mentioned uh, quite a few different examples. I say examples of styles, uh, of lifestyles, and <laughs> Fudala's lifestyle was definitely not productive to his future, and uh, I'll give Fudala a lot of respect for this, uh, for, for a lot of things, but... Um, I pulled him aside one day after a course, an instructor training course, and he evaluated. And at the end of the course, I debrief you guys. You're new to this process. Let's debrief. This is what you did well. This is what you can improve on. These are your goals for the next time you work on a course. I want to give you some guidelines. I want to give you some standards. And I for sure want you to know what you're doing well. And we had a very productive conversation there. And then when we were done, I said, hey, bro, can I have a personal conversation with you? He's like, yeah, no, by all means. I'm like, no, I mean, this is really, I'm, I'm, this is very constructive criticism, but very criticism. Can I have, can I give you some really brutal, honest friendship truth? He's like, dude, we're friends. Please do. And I called him out on some behavior. And uh, you could see as soon as I said it, it hit him in the gut. Mm. You know that look on somebody's face where they're like, Are you, oh my God, that. And it hit him not because it hurt his feelings, but because he felt the truth. He was mm. like, oh yeah, no, man. And he cares. And he cares, 100%. And when I got done, he's like, man, two weeks ago, Stephen Boyd told me this exact same thing. I don't know if you guys talked to him. I'm like, nope, we've got no collaboration. I have no clue. This is the first that I knew Stephen talked to you about this. He goes, well, the two people I look up to the most are you and Stephen. And both of you have said the same thing. Hmm. It's time I take this advice serious. And I shouldn't have needed a second time to take it serious. And how often do we have friends that we try to give good, sage, sound advice to? Back to we can think of examples that uh, uh, right now we could probably name a few friends like Justin Grubbs who needs a little bit of life <laughs> life leadership. But what do they do? They make excuses. Right. Mm-hmm. They they beat around the bush. They have problems. It's everything but their ownership. Chris took ownership and, and he owned his problem and he moved forward. So I got to give him a lot of credit for owning his problems and, and growing from them. And so. now he's coach examiner. Coach examiner, well on his way to AFF, AFF examiner. examiner. Mm-hmm. Um, the end of this year, if not the beginning of next year, he will be an AFF examiner. He is Woo. well on his way. He's done a good job. He teaches his first AFF course under supervision next month. Awesome. Yeah. Good for him. So that'd be super, super cool. It, it'll, it'll be a lot of fun. Huge respect for him. Yeah. That's awesome. So we kind of got the beginning of Blindberry, Woodberry, how you came to Spaceland, but mm-hmm. I really want to pull this trigger way far backwards. And I think I told you the biggest reason I wanted you on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I didn't tell you the biggest reason, and, and Nick would have told you if he was here tonight, is this is usually a sausage fest. There is. <laughs> yeah, you, true. What, what did you say when you joked around about the candle smell in here? Does it smell like a bunch of dudes? 
Oh, yeah. yeah. It doesn't smell rooms, like a bunch of sweaty dudes. Yeah. He said it smells really nice tonight. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and it's not because I have this really nice Bed Bath & Beyond. No, no, no. Bath & Body Works candle over here burning. <laughs> it's because Woodbury's in here. Um, but the other reason we had you on is your background. Mm. So many people chase the American dream. The American dream, go to school, get a job, get a vocational education, whatever. There's some version of the American dream that we're told to chase. We're told to follow. And most people follow it. Most people chase it. And many people wake up and go, I'm living a dull, boring existence that I'm not happy with. Mm -hmm. And they continue to dream of something else. Mm -hmm. You did the same, didn't you? Definitely. Yeah. So what's your background? What's your your vocational background? What's your life history? Yeah. So, well, I grew up in New Hampshire. So I feel like... I'm going to go. Yeah, it's beautiful there. I always had that free spirit in me, but was always focused on college and business school, and I did. I went to business school. I went to University of Arizona four years and then moved to San Diego, was so focused on having it be this huge business career and the money, and I feel like that was so, I mean, my parents, my family is amazing, but it was just society. It gets ingrained in you. It, you I feel like I remember feeling that in high school even, maybe even in middle school of like, I need to be successful. I need to make money. I need to live this certain way. And um, I didn't, I mean, I don't necessarily regret any of that, but it was, it was that kind of American dream path um, of going business school, starting the career. I was in San Diego for seven years. Um, I started doing PR, so public relations, and then I kind of switched to marketing. And then I did about five years as a product line manager. Uh, managing product categories for these huge corporations. So there I was. I was probably, I think I was 27-ish when I started being like, you know what, this is, I think I knew it in my gut. This is not what I want to be doing. Like I have this free spirit. I feel stuck at a desk. It was 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. every single day. And having the weekends in San Diego was amazing. But then you're sitting there at the desk Monday through Friday. So um, yeah, that was life in San Diego. Probably, yeah, I was 22 to 29 was that corporate lifestyle. And let's be real, living a corporate lifestyle in San Diego is not a bad place to be. Right. I exactly. actually lived a similar yeah. lifestyle. San Diego till I was 27. Yeah. Uh, lived working in business. And yeah. I lived in UTC. I don't mm-hmm. know if you put that together. Yeah. yeah. Um, I lived in a very swanky apartment with a good buddy. Uh, uh-huh. We lived a very fun lifestyle. Lots of nights in PB and gas yeah. lamp. Uh, a lot of good times hanging out in La Jolla and life was great. That's the thing. That's what makes it so confusing. I think. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm in San Diego. I have this money I'm making. I have, I'm skydiving every weekend. I have all these friends here. You can go to the beach, you surf, you do yoga, but like something huge is missing. So I think that, yeah, that's what makes it extra confusing is when you're in somewhere like San Diego and it's beautiful and you really have nothing technically to complain about. So you say over time you were realizing something was missing or was it the whole time you knew it? I think I knew it deep down the whole time. And then it was around, I think around 27 where it was like starting of dreaming. And I remember at 27 time, my mom, like, I just want to go travel. Like, I just want to break away from this and go do something. And it wasn't the time and it didn't make sense. But I did start saving. Like, I knew enough to be putting away money to be working towards something different. And But I stayed in it for two more years after that, too. But you stayed in it for two more years because yeah. of what you just said. 
yeah. to prepare. Yeah, to prepare. And I can't even give myself that much credit necessarily. I think it was <laughs> to stay, because you feel stuck. Like you're addicted to that, the money and then the the comfort of it all. You have your apartment. I had a nice condo downtown San Diego in Little Italy. Oh. I was living by the water, like running by the water every single morning. My best friends were there. The best like premium health insurance. You have your 401k or... I mean, it's it's easy in a way, you know. Yeah, you have your yeah. paycheck is on is on salary, so your paycheck every two weeks, and it's comfy. It's like it's hard to really start thinking creatively to break away from them. It's a beautiful spot to be. Yeah, like life. Yeah. Like talking about it now, it's like yeah. From the outside, you can probably think like what it, what what's there to complain about, but the the lifestyle. It, I mean, if you go into detail of the Monday to Friday, that's what was wrong. And that's a lot of time. I mean, that's like 60, 70 hours a week. It's a hard choice. It's a hard decision because I regularly tell people I'm semi-retired. And the part about being semi-retired means I will be semi-retired my whole life, Mm -hmm. which means I have to work my entire life. I Mm -hmm. don't have the 401k anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't have the retirement plan anymore. I don't have a future potential plan. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the fact that I'm living my dreams, it means when I'm older, I will just work a job. And quite frankly, if I'm a 75-year-old man sitting in front of a Walmart door saying, hey, (laughs) welcome to Walmart, you know me. I'm going to have a damn good time. Tell me where that Walmart's at. (laughs) (laughs) I'll make it as fun as humanly possible. (laughs) That's for damn sure. Yeah. And I think, too, when you're... I know so actually when you're surrounded by people having that same lifestyle and they're all working that 60, 70 hours behind the desk, it's all you really know too. Like your friends are doing it, you're doing it. Um, and it kind of seems like the normal and thank God for skydiving. Cause that's when it really, that's what was that real shift is you start seeing people live a completely different lifestyle and you're like, Oh, I don't have to be behind a desk. Like they're making more money than I am or they're making in San Diego, they're, they're doing pretty well at Oceanside. And I started thinking that's that was kind of when it all started changing was the skydiving, like having that high on the weekends and then going back to Monday at the desk. Same people. <laughs> I had to make a decision I'm at dying. some point was I can pay to skydive however I want mm-hmm. or I can skydive whenever I want. Right. So it's however I want or all the time. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the exchange is I don't get to skydive how I want all the time. You know, if I could get paid to just free fly and swoop, I probably would choose that route. Um, that's hard for me to say now because I've really created a passion with what I do. So I probably would never get disconnected from what I do. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if I could really get to the point where I could make a substantial income just doing the fun jumps, that's a really hard thing to argue against. But as a full-time skydiver, as a full-time tunnel instructor, and we'll get to that, mm-hmm. we don't get to do what we want anymore, but we always get to do what we love. Right. And I mean, I could say a million advantages to it, but I feel like looking back when I was even doing those skydives on the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, I wasn't even present in it because you're always, you're addicted to, okay, Monday morning, like Sunday night, I got to check my emails. Like Monday, I got to be there 7.30. Like Monday, I have to get up at 5.30 to go to the gym to meet my friend and then go to the gym and then get home and shower and then get to the office by eight. Or if I don't get there by eight, I'm late and I'm getting in trouble. And it's like, you're not, even if you're paying for like the boogie, the boogies to go travel to and the fun jumps, like I found myself not 
fully enjoying it because I was so wrapped up in Monday to Friday. As I well. was the opposite. Really? I let the skydiving affect my work life, not my work life affect my skydiving. Yeah. But either way, there's a suffering there. Yeah. My job suffered. I definitely showed up later than I was supposed to. I definitely yeah. took advantage of now my work situation. I had a little bit of uh, control over my own schedule. I didn't get in a lot of trouble. I got to a point where I was one of the bosses. So it was okay for me to do what I want when I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, Eventually, the business I was working in got bought out. I went from the business manager to a uh, contractor, which meant I only worked at 4.30 in the afternoon. Mm. So if I was up late, it, it never really mattered. Yeah. Um, but back to it, at 27, you said, man, this is not it. And yeah. you started saving up. Yeah. Started saving bonuses. I put those away completely. Uh, not even... Like, I can't even say any of this was planned, but I can't. And so I wasn't necessarily saving, like, okay, at 29, I'm going to break away. I'm going to go. I just had that feeling of, like, I can't do this my whole life. I'm not meant to be sitting behind the desk. And there's a lot of, I do believe there's a lot of good corporate jobs. You, you know, said doobie. Doobie? I do believe. I do believe. <laughs> do believe. <laughs> do believe. Yeah. Um, no, I do be. Do believe. <laughs> You'll never hear the same again. Nope. Um, <laughs> There's good corporate jobs. Like, I work for a corporation now. It's iFly. Like, there's good corporate jobs out there. The corporate world I was in, just to be clear, was, like, sitting behind the desk every single day. Which really is most corporate jobs. I mean, it was... And I was at the, like, like senior manager position, but it was still, like, you're expected to be there at 8 a.m. no matter what. Like, the directors are watching. They're making sure everyone's there still past, like, 6 o'clock. You know, it was that really intense corporate strict lifestyle so that was hard. one of the things you said is you didn't say i had a goal or a direction like at 29 i'm gonna make a move mm. when you were saving this money though did you know you were going to start traveling and start skydiving more was it was, was my there- dream yeah so definitely i knew i wanted to skydive more i wanted to travel more but i think i it was never a plan at 29 i'm gonna break away really what the trigger was was I had been in it, what did I say, like seven years or so. And then it was, I had worked for a company, it was part of, um, it was called HD Supply. So it used to be part of Home Depot. I was there for four years. They moved the corporate offices to Atlanta. I had a choice to move there, but I love San Diego so much. I wanted to stay. Then took another job that was part of uh, Vistaprint, a huge, yeah, yeah, part of that. Um, And that was for a year. And so HD Supply was, that was overall a decent experience. The next one for that year was this awful year. It was, I won't go into detail, it's boring, but it wasn't, it was just not a place I, I wanted to be. I want to hear some of the details and I'll, let me explain why. Yeah. So many of our friends listening right now, so many of the fans who are paying attention to the show are living a similar lifestyle. Yeah. And part of what we do as guests or what y'all do as guests is you help these people identify. Mm. So I, I kind of do want you to describe okay. some of that to help people yeah. identify with who you are. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess as a preface to, I've worked with amazing people in these corporations. There's a lot of smart, intelligent, good people. So I don't want to talk poorly about it either. But in that last year, I mean, it had been building an HD supply where there was a lot of, um, it was always pressure. It was always this like unattainable, like grow the product category this much uh, every single day. The high pressure, the high stress, the... Um, that corporate climb the ladder, climb the ladder, climb the ladder, be like us, like this pretty much like you fit in uh, to a peg hole, you know, that kind of um, attitude. But 
HG Supply was at least a good experience where I learned so much about um, about ever managing a business, pretty much. Um, but then the the last um, the last year that really pushed it over the edge, it was the most toxic work environment I've ever experienced, and it was really a ton of bullying going on. I was I started that at 28, so to walk into like a senior manager position. A lot of the other senior managers were, I don't know, like 45, 50. And so they were not happy about having someone younger, making a little bit more money than they were. Um, That was really challenging. So just a lot of that like toxic energy all building up in the work environment and then like absolute chaos. So just chaos of no one really knowing what they're doing, but then having these huge high expectations of people as well. Um, and then it was that same expectation, be here at 8 a.m., you're here till 6 p.m., and, like, I think the worst part of that was feeling like you're being owned by a corporation, so your ideas aren't really listened to, but yet you have to push these product categories to grow, and then they, I mean, they do, they kind of own you in a way, you know, and I fought it, like, trust me, I fought it, I would work out every single morning. I would be skydiving every single weekend. I'd be doing yoga or surfing at night. Like I fought that feeling of being owned or the bullying or the pressure, all of those negative feelings. Um, and that feeling for your body to be sitting that long every single day. And then everyone, I mean, aged, it looks so, so much faster. Like people at like 40 would look 60 because of that stress, like building up in the office all day and sitting at a desk and um, I fought it, but there's really, I, I mean, there are people who can do it, but it just wasn't me to be able to work 60 hours, 60, 70 hours a week and then still feel like you're fully loving life. And I really think you, you say there are people who can do it. Yeah. There are people who choose to do it and can do it, but I yeah. don't think there, there are people who choose to do it and do love it. Yeah. And man, I thank God those people exist because we need those people. Yeah, exactly. But a lot of them do it because they have to, not because they yeah. love it. A lot of them can do it, but don't want to do it. A lot of them have to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're in life and you're in a situation where you've got to support your kids, your family, your exactly. children, you know, your children. It, it makes a big difference, but at the same time, there there are other avenues, right? And I, it would be that kind of situation where you'd be walking out on a Friday, and like I was going in the tunnel on a Friday, and then we'd be doing a hot air balloon jump. I remember this one weekend specifically, and then skydiving the rest of Saturday. So I'm like Friday five p.m. like run, sprinting out the door, and you would ask people like, "Hey, like, what are you doing this weekend? Are you excited? You know, are you going for a walk, a run, and?" Uh, nothing you know and it would suck that like suck that life energy out of these people and they're like 30s 40s 50s i mean they're young and they have these families and they have these mortgages and they just feel so bogged down by it all and that like the glow in their eyes was just not there i mean it's a whole office of that and i mean even at the other corporate job hd supply it was a lot of that as well unfortunately it was sad it was and i remember telling my mom my mom's amazing, but I remember telling her over and over again, like, I ask these people what they're excited about, and they have not, there's nothing. And she's like, well, then stop asking them because they're not, they're not living. So stop asking. And that's what it got to. It was like, okay, I'm just going to keep my skydiving weekends to myself and not, not talk about her, you know, trying to, I tried to help people too while I was there, but it's a pretty, 
bad environment, I would say. <laughs> and that's tricky. I worked at a couple jobs where uh, people would they would hear me talk about skydiving. Yeah. You know, what did you do this weekend? I sat around the house and I drank beer. Mm-hmm. What did you do this weekend? I mowed the grass. What did you do this weekend? I hung from the strut of a Pilatus Porter and the pilot <laughs> yeah. dumped the wing over and made me fall off. Yes. That was a story one <laughs> yeah. weekend, right? And so uh, I, I kind of got bored of what they had to hear and I'm positive they got sick of hearing about skydiving. Oh, for sure. Me too. <laughs> yeah. And even my last job, I had moved to Indiana for personal reasons. And I'll say personal reasons. I needed to grow up a little bit. I mm-hmm. needed to stop partying so much. I really, my life was starting to take some negative turns. I was starting to make some really poor choices in life. Uh, I, I had had a very successful job making a lot of money. That company had got bought out. I'd lost that position. Finances weren't the best place. And, and I was still living on a budget that I didn't have anymore. Mm. And so moving to Indiana was a life reset. And I mm-hmm. took a job at a car dealership. I'm like, I need money. I need money now. Mm-hmm. They're hiring at the Ford dealership. I can sell a car. I, I, that's not a problem. I, I can sell something to somebody. That's easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a sales background with my other business stuff. So um, at the dealership, when I quit, I actually had a two-week vacation. On my two-week vacation, I shot video for the drop zone. Nice. Uh, a few days before my vacation was over, I called the boss. Basic statement, I'm not coming back. Yeah. Uh, basic statement, we're not shocked. A couple weeks later, showed back up to collect my stuff. They were super, super cool about it. Got to give a lot of respect and love to those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody was like, yeah, dude, we knew it was coming. Because all you did was talk about skydiving. Right. So, that's amazing. Yeah. And that's how you got into it then? That was- um, it, yeah, it's something. So yeah. I, I don't want to do what I love for a living. Have you ever heard somebody say that before? Yeah. And I heard that, man. I don't want to make, when I first started skydiving, I immediately said, I want to teach this. I have a little bit of background in coaching, a little bit of background in teaching. Not huge, mm-hmm. but enough. Um, I love skydiving. I love teaching. Man, what a cool job. I'm going to do this. Oh, yeah. And within a year, I'm like, fuck no. I'm not going to do what I love for a living. And here is the pretense I thought it under. How many burnt out full-time skydivers have either one of you guys met? A lot. Quite a few. Yeah. <laughs> and, and let's be real. More than not. Yeah. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. 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 And we'll talk more about why and how to prevent that later on. I don't think you've been doing it long enough to have the experience, but I think you have the insight to prevent it from happening to you. Yeah. And people, yeah, I was going to say people warn me a lot about that, getting into all of this. So I've heard it and I've seen it, but I'm not at that. Yeah, I'm not at that. And I've been skydiving 22 years. Would you call me the burnt out, crusty old guy yet? Mm, No. Just the old guy. (laughs) Yes to all but the first two. (laughs) <laughs> burnt out and crusty not that no burnt out first two words oh burnt like, out crusty, crusty old, old guy crusty yeah. we're not talking about my underwears <laughs> talking about my age um no but for sure it's 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 a hard dangerous line and i've not been Definitely. that i have been the burnt out crusty old guy at some point yeah um but back to it the, these guys knew i wanted to skydive at some point i went to skydiving full-time you eventually quit your job but yep. you didn't go to skydiving right away yeah so that actually never was even in my radar. I mean, when I quit, it, I probably had 200 jumps and San Diego was an amazing place to learn, but I feel like it is a little bit different than Spaceland where Spaceland, I feel like we're always encouraging people like, what's your dream with this? Where do you want to go? Do these mentor jumps? There's so many ways to grow here at Spaceland, but that never, yeah, it never crossed my mind actually in San Diego. Like I never, it was never like a dream to be an AFF instructor or videographer I always really respected those people and especially the females in the sport. I looked up to them, but 
I don't think I ever believed I, I was capable of it, to be honest. Like, I just had 200 jumps, and it was just a hobby. And here I was, like, this high-up job, you know, as a manager. And I never – I don't think I was in that spot in life where I could picture breaking away from it completely. It's so crazy you say that. Uh, you know, places are cyclical. You know, yeah. two years from now, Spaceland's not going to be the same place it is today. Yeah. Hopefully for the better, but yeah. sometimes for the worse. I think Spaceland will continue to improve right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I was in San Diego, it was, they showed us a dream to live. Mm -hmm. I learned in San Diego at a place called Air Adventures. Nice. Eventually, it was at Brownfield. You know where that's at? Mm -hmm. Okay. Eventually, uh, parachutes over San Diego was in Hamul, where Scott of San Diego is now. Yeah. Eventually, POSD shut down, and Air Adventures moved their operations to... Uh, Hamul mm-hmm. and became Skydive San Diego and Buzz Fink. I don't know if you ever knew him. Yeah, uh, he was there. He owned it when I started. Okay, yeah. I thought, yeah, at the time he makes sense. He, yeah, I he's, love San Diego. So Buzz was my first DZO. Oh, okay. Yeah, D- Buzz was my first DZO. I did my first 100, 120 jumps with Buzz. He's amazing. Yeah, still stay in touch with him. I still communicate with him here and there. Such a good guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, super uh, polarizing guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you say good guy, and I will say great guy. Um, not everybody feels the same way about Buzz. I think you'd agree to that as well. I was like a brand new A-license jumper, so he was nice to me. Yeah. Um, he, he was great, and really, um, you have to respect the guy who owns the ball. It's my ball. I make the rules. That's the way it is. Right. It's my drops when I make the rules. Yeah. And Buzz, in my opinion, was always fair, but if you didn't respect his position as an owner, you were going to have a hard time getting along with him. Mm-hmm. You don't have to agree with him to get along with him. Mm-hmm. You have to respect his position as an owner. Yep. You don't have to agree with his decisions. You have to respect his decisions as an owner. Steve Boyd owns a drop zone that my company is at. I, I, if people don't realize, I don't necessarily work for Spaceland. I own the rating center. Uh, I'll explain us as we're a Starbucks inside of Kroger's. And I think it's the most appropriate version because, A, we're a very, very small company and a very, very large entity. And there's multiple Kroger's and there's multiple Starbucks inside multiple Kroger's. Um, So we partner together. But I'm also a consultant for Spaceland. So I do work for Steve regularly. And the one thing, and Steve has heard me say this to his face. Don't ask me to jeopardize mine or anybody's safety. Sign the check. The (laughs) only two things I can demand of him. Other than that, can I demand anything of that man? No. And it's his right to run the business the way he wants. And him and I behind closed doors will talk about policies where I'm like, Steve, I don't know if this is the best policy. He goes, yeah, but it's the way I want it. Okay, that's your company. That's the way you want it. Not a problem, man. And I go out and I don't think most of you know what I do and don't like about the way things are done in Spaceland. Why? It's his fucking ball. That's the way he wants it. Yeah. And Buzz, same thing, man. People are – he's polarizing because people don't respect the position of the owner. They're too busy making petty – decisions about petty opinions right it's easy to complain right man yeah. mm-hmm. you know there's stupid shit that steve could complain about me but i think in the bottom line we have that mutual respect because we know it's not personal it's business mm-hmm. and with buzz is the same way i love buzz so yeah. I, I could go on about buzz for a while buzz also yeah. gave me probably 20 or 30 free jumps in my first 100 skydives okay yeah i love buzz too <laughs> um i uh i was really good friends with a, a gal who started learning the same time i did and the guy she was hooking up with at the time was their lead instructor. And he, this is just my interpretation of life. I don't know the truth behind this. But he uh, definitely was not excited about the way her and I hung out. Like when her and I would go do a fun jump together, he would find an excuse to complain to the owner about my behavior or something I did. Um, there was always a problem with me when it came to her. 
and I'm positive buzz. Like, hey, DJ, you want to go make a jump? Yeah, no, I can't afford it right now. No, do you want to get on this load right now? Yeah, I don't have the money. DJ, I asked you a question. Do you want to get on the load right now? Answer that question. Yeah, I do, Buzz. Sweet, it's on me, but I don't have gear. It's all on me. Go grab a rental rig, go get on this load, go jump with your friends. And I will go jump with this friend. And I'm positive, just looking at the history, I always, whenever you gave me a free jump, it was almost always with her. I'm positive he was using it to poke at his lead instructor and give him shit. That's amazing. Because there was definitely a bit of a rivalry between those two fellas. So I don't know if I... Worked out for you then. I don't know if I got 30 free jumps or if Buzz was taking 30 cheap shots at a dude. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the second thing, not the first thing. Worked out though. Yeah. So it worked out great for me. Yeah. So you didn't realize you were going to go to skydiving. You you had 200 jumps. You started in San Diego. Yeah. They weren't promoting... They were amazing. I mean, San Diego was amazing. It was, it's a smaller drop zone there, you know. They, they had some good organizers. Um, but I think it was also more of me just being in a mindset of like, this is fun. And I was so caught up in that business world of climbing that corporate ladder. Mm-hmm. It never really occurred to me like, oh, I could make that big of a change, you know, before, while I was in that world. And it took some time to really start thinking of that. Um, but I did know I wanted to change. So it was when I was 29, there was like one of those last corporate decisions. And I had the Puerto Rico boogie planned with some friends. And it was about a week before that. And they made one last corporate decision. And it had been, a, like I said, a year of those ongoing things that affected our lives so much. Um, and they made that one decision. And I was like, you know what? It clicked in my mind in that minute of like, I have the Puerto Rico boogie. I've had this dream of leaving for a bit and going and just kind of seeing where life goes. And the dream more was not to start working in skydiving, but kind of just to go travel and skydive where I wanted and see where life goes. So I did. I walked in my, it was a new boss, walked into her office and said, I'm done. Like enough's enough. And, um, that's what kind of where the whole next chapter started was that one day. And then I remember pretty clearly I went and hiked with the biggest mountain in San Diego that day. And it was the best feeling in the world. Where was that? Uh, Iron Mountain. Okay. So right next to Mount Woodson. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, I knew like that gut feeling of like, this is life's going to change. It's going to be amazing. But yeah, I had no idea where I was going at all. Zero. <laughs> so, um, and that's kind of where it started. So then, um, that was February 2017. That was two and a half years ago. And that's where um, I packed up my whole my whole condo. And at that time, I thought it was going to be three months. Like, I remember I told my old job I had. I did have a job offer for my old boss. And I thought I'd leave for three months, come back, and then kind of hop back into a new hop opportunity. So it ended up, I feel like I'm still on the adventure. It wasn't three months. And then it kind of kept going and going and going. And one thing led to another. And... Um, that's kind of how it led to being an instructor. But it wasn't like, okay, I'm quitting my corporate job. I'm going to go be an instructor right now. It was of like, let's open life up and see where it goes and see what happens. And I just need to be free. I need some freedom just to kind of live and travel. And I was single at the time. Like I didn't have a mortgage or anything like that. And I knew like all my friends were getting married. All of them were starting to have babies. And I was like, I'm nowhere near ready for that right now. And I want to go take this opportunity while I can. So I did, and it's been amazing. First of all, I love you, Steve Barker. Um, the guy who got me into skydiving, I, I just checked the timestamp every now and then. I'll peek on the feed on here to make sure I know where I'm at time-wise. Yeah. 
And Steve Barker uh, said that Buzz Fink fired him twice. Oh. Uh, Buzz, uh, Steve is the guy who got me into skydiving. Yeah. And uh, is still a full-time skydiver at Paris Valley, California. Was a full-time skydiver for Buzz back in the day. So uh, I've told his story many times on this show and absolutely just can't thank him enough because this show wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Steve Barker. You know, yeah. my lifestyle, my relationship with my wife. Who knows? I might have met Val another way. Yeah. But my gosh, man, if it wasn't for Steve, my life probably wouldn't be where it is today. And skydiving ultimately has changed us, right? Mm-hmm. Forever. So now you've made that ultimate change, 2017. Yeah. The hardest thing to do was to make the decision – not not to make the decision, but to execute the decision to make the change. Right. Would you agree to that? Yeah, in a way, but in a way, I was so ready to be done. I okay. knew it with my whole heart, soul, everything, everything. I knew I want out of this. I'm done. It was that part I think was easy because it was exciting. I was going off to the Puerto Rico boogie. I think it took a lot to, I think it was challenging leading up to that and getting to enough points of being like, I'm done. That was challenging. And yeah, it was definitely scary, like finding someone to sublet my apartment, trying to p- find storage, packing everything up, like telling people, telling my grandmother, telling my parents, I mean, telling my friends that I was just leaving. Um, it was all very uncomfortable, I would say, and also extremely thrilling. Um, Did you have a set budget you were uh, aiming for? Like- no, like three months. It was like three uh, Time I was like three months. So three months, I'm going to go... Travel. My goal is South America. I want to do South America and then come back. So I was thinking like maybe I kind of had an idea, but I was also kind of willing to take, I had the money set away. So I was willing to do what it took to enjoy my life for three months. I was desperate to have fun and live. I mean, they had gotten to a pretty bad point. So it was more so. just like a, a short term thing to begin with. Yeah, and it just exactly. Kind of blew up into more. Yeah, it was three months, and then I'm coming back to San Diego. I'm coming back to this. I want to work for my old boss, and then that was that. But it totally took a completely different path. Um, I went to Puerto Rico. I met a bunch of people from Colombia, and then um, we they said you've got to go to Colombia. You have to go there next. So I went to Puerto Rico with a bunch of friends. There's probably 10 of us from San Diego. Um, and then, this microphone. And is that okay? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, pointing at your face. Point at my face. Yeah. To give you an idea. <laughs> Nick, lock, lock, Nick <laughs> right now it doesn't work for me, but Nick and I both, and I think you probably have the issue, you're thick enough. Our mustache is usually touching the microphone. Yeah. Yeah. I can't it, that. It, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> keep as close as you can. Do know I yeah. change these pop filters. Justin, by the way, did you notice you have a new one? Yes. Justin is much less gray hair on it. Only pop filter <laughs> that I don't change regularly. I don't know if it's because you you shaved or you changed it. Um, it's because I changed it and there's no cats sitting by it. Oh, there we go. Um, his is the ones I only the only one I don't change regularly. And it's because I just don't think about changing his. Um, uh, every couple of weeks I go around here and I change all these cuz these are like these little these little things right here. I wonder how weird that sound. These little things are super cheap. So okay. that is a pretty fresh one. It's Good. pretty clean. And DJ um, and I swap saliva, so we're cool with it. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so th- my idea was three months. I put everything in storage. I said I'm going to be back in three months. And then it was actually just two months ago I went back to San Diego and cleared everything out. So You finally did oh, it. Wow. Yeah. I was, and it felt amazing. It was, there was still like this little part of me being like, I'm always going back to San Diego. I'm going back. And that's like two and a half years later. Yeah, basically. it was too much money. But I, I kind of always, it was a nice safety net too, for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, it started out going to Puerto Rico. 
Um, I then I went back to San Diego, cleared out my apartment, put everything in storage. Um, then got on a one way ticket to Argentina. Didn't I? It was like connections, skydivers of like friends of friends um, said go to Argentina. And this amazing person named Dasha, a lot of people in the skydiving, she travels quite a bit. Um, people know her pretty well, but um, she picked me up at the airport, was this beautiful blonde bombshell wingsuiter girl, so sweet. Um, they welcomed me into Argentina. Um, I stayed there for a while, then had to come back to the States for a wedding, um, and then took a one-way ticket ticket to Colombia, and that was the real, uh, real kind of like I'm gone from the States, no plan to go back at all. Um, and that's where I feel like a lot of the change for me occurred for myself was like, oh, there's this whole other life out there. Like this is where I felt the freedom. Like Argentina kind of broke it, broke me into it all. But then Colombia, I ended up staying there for almost three months. Where were you at in Colombia? Kind of all over. So I started, I went for a boogie there, which was probably to date the best boogie I've ever been to. It was, um, it was in March that year. So I went for that. And then the drop zone owners, everyone in South America is so welcoming. So they welcomed me to their lake house and Nico, they own Zielo. Um, they brought me traveling all through Colombia. So we went to Prado Lago, I think it was called. Um, and then Flanders is where they do the skydiving. Um, and then I was in Bogota quite a bit too. Um, and then, um, left for Panama. I went to Pepe Island boogie. That was amazing. Um, and then I, after that boogie, I wasn't sure where to go. So I went back to Colombia. Um, I made a really good um, friend, Daniela. She's been at space on you guys might recognize her. Um, she's amazing. She welcomed me into her home in Bogota. And then we went on these amazing adventures. We went, um, all these small towns went to a cowboy ranch of, it was like a friend of a friend of hers. And I don't even remember. I think it was called La Mesa maybe, but it was in the middle of nowhere, Colombia. Um, and then I ended up going to, it's a drop zone. Scott of Colombia owns it. And Zielo has one there too. It's right outside of Cartagena uh, called Playa, Playa Mendoza and lived at the drop zone there. Um, Scott of Colombia. I lived there probably that was a few months. And um, that's actually where I started shooting video with Skydive Colombia. Um, Do you know Majo? Majo Espinosa? Uh-uh. Mayo, M-A-Y-O, Majo. I, I just looked so. to see if you have mutual friends. You've named a lot of places that you guys would be together. He's okay. based out of Bogota. I'm awful with names, um, so I might recognize his face. I'm going to have to yeah. show you a picture of him. He actually came here, him him and a guy named Gabriel Dur- uh, Durana. Yeah. Uh, Gabriel uh, quit skydiving a while back, from my understanding. Okay. But keep keep going with your story. I'll, yeah. I'll show you a picture of Majo. Um, so... I was in Colombia, um, and that's that's kind of where I got that idea of like, oh, I could be an instructor. There was girl instructors there, um, living their dreams out, and really res- like living. I respected them a lot. They're confident. They were um, professional. They were better than all other guys were. Um, so that was that was kind of the start of it all in Colombia. So that was like three. That was probably two months. Yeah, he looks familiar. I'll show you a jumpsuit picture of him, too. Because, you know, jumpsuits identify a human being in our world. I don't think I... I don't know. Where does he jump? Do you know? Uh, I know he's based out of Bogota. Okay. Um, And I'm, I'll find out the drop zone in a second. Keep going, though. Okay. So, yeah, that was um, the way I started shooting video. Skydive Columbia. Oh, okay. Oh, no. He was at Skydive Columbia. Now I think he's somewhere else. Let's message him. We'll see. Um... 
yeah, so I jumped at Skydive's Columbia and Zielo. There's a little bit of a competition between yeah. those two drop zones. But I managed, to, I made friends with both of them. And they were, I mean, it's a different world. We were talking about uh, drop zones welcoming people in. Like, it's different in South America. Like, you're a friend, your family to people right away yeah. is amazing. And I, that's how I ended up having enough money after three months. I still had money from that original budget because... People just welcome you into their home. Like, my house is your house, and let's feed you. Like, Daniela would make me food every single day, and, you know, I would chip in and everything. But Scott of Columbia, it cost maybe, like, $2 a day to live there. Um, so it was pretty cheap, and people were amazing. And um, the way I started shooting video was I was, I, like I said, I had 200 jumps, and they needed someone. You know, you're there, and you're kind of in the middle of nowhere, Columbia. And so they all of a sudden woke me up one morning and was like, we need you to shoot video, like get up. <laughs> and that's where it started. So that's, I think three months in where I was supposed to be going home and getting that job again. I said, no way. Like this is so much more fun. I'm making maybe $10 <laughs> a jump in Columbia. And, but it's way better than making that other salary back home. So and we both really have that. I took a break from work, started shooting video yeah. and never went back. Yeah. Holy like cow. I'm making nothing, but this is, I don't care. This is way mm-hmm. better. Yeah. Did you uh, ever meet Consuela SDF pseudo America flyers? I don't know. She is a Chilean skydiver. Okay. Uh, she is recently, I say recently about two years ago, Chile's first female AFF instructor. Nice. Um, yeah. Super, super proud of her. Go girl. Uh, I was her examiner. So one of the reasons I kind of got a connection, uh, she owns an organization called SDF pseudo American flyers. Okay. And it is a South American organization. As you probably know, in South America, the community, not as you know, as you've said, is very welcoming, very warm, very inviting, and it's one family. It's about the people. It's about yeah. the community, right? But there's not a lot of organization to the skydiving community throughout Central or South America. Right. And so she started SDF Pseudo-American Flyers. Um, if Mr. G, you'll look up uh, SDF Pseudo-American Flyers, uh, you'll find them. And if you can share a link to their website and their Facebook page in the feed, that would be super cool. Nice. Um, and it's just meant for people in South America to go, I'm looking for coaching in Argentina or in Colombia or in wherever. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, a, it's a great organization. Um, that's amazing. Where is she based out of? She's based out of Chile, uh, okay. Scott of Chile. Uh, she, I don't know if that's where she is right now. She travels America as well, North America. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, to picture her, she's probably about 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, she's about my height. Mm-hmm. And she is super skinny. You know the style of woman I like? 100%. Valerie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tall, skinny women, man. And Consuela is a beautiful, beautiful woman, Aww. man. So she she is a wonderful lady. Yeah, that's where – that reminds me of um, – Anna, who works for, who she owns Yellow. And that's where there's some powerful women down there starting to really make changes with skydiving. And that's where it kind of, it clicked for me of, I was down there just trying to break away from that corporate world, have fun. And then I saw her, this powerhouse. She's amazing. She's one of the, she's probably the best, one of the best flyers in South America. And she's trying to change the world down there with what they're doing at Zielo and coaching, AFF, all of that. And so she's one of the main people that really started making my mind change of like, I really respect you. Maybe I want to do something like what you're doing. So in that 
comment. What's her name again? Anna. Anna. And in the conversation of Anna and you mm-hmm. saying her being a powerful woman, we, we yeah. crossed two worlds real quickly. The corporate world and the skydiving world and the song It's a Man's World comes straight to my mind. <laughs> uh, you know my wife. She is a very uh, powerful woman overall as a human being. Yes. Uh, she has a very good job, but she works uh, for the uh, local government, city government, in construction, which it is a man's world. She works in city politics. It is a man's world. Mm-hmm. And in the corporate world, it's still a man's world. And let's be real, in skydiving, there's a lot of men who don't think women can be full-time skydivers. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I've seen Val at 125 pounds take a 220-pound student in AFF and whoop his ass in free fall. Mm-hmm. You know, technique, strength will whoop technique every day if technique is matched. Yep. But technique can trump strength if technique is that much better, right? Mm-hmm. And people look at a gal like you, whether it's in the corporate world or whether it's in the skydiving world, thinking like, what can you do? Oh. You're a tunnel instructor. I'm sure you hear it every day there too. Yep. Right? You say it perfectly. Yeah. And it was like you said it exactly too. In the corporate world, I feel like I can look back and say, oh, I wish I realized earlier to break away from that. But I'm so glad I did stay in that world because in that it was our the it was merchandising department i mean it was male dominated mm-hmm. and you fought to be a woman in that for sure you had to be strong you had to be um very strong-willed and be able to stand your ground and all of that and i feel like that helped that's helped so much in the skydiving world because you what you say about val is completely true too. i think even in the skydiving world people have tried to bully you and mm-hmm. i don't think those people would have bullied you had you been a man Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I I think I'm cautious about what you say. I feel like as women, we choose to be in this world, and it's a world we choose to be in um, coming into it, you know? I mean, as a, as a skydiver, like getting your A license, it starts right there. I mean, there's more guys than there are girls, and you know that. So you have to take responsibility for your choices to work in this or to jump in it. And I hear a lot of girls complain um, about – not a lot, some – some girls complain about it being a man's world, and I feel like it is. But you also, if you're going to be a part of it, you got to learn learn quickly, too. To a point, it's a man's world, and yeah. this conversation spans so many, or this, this statement spans so many conversations. Yeah. And the statement is, you're a product of your environment. It's a man's world. Mm. You're a producer of your environment as well. Mm-hmm. You don't have to accept the environment the way it is. And let's exactly. go back to you being a woman. And people treating you in certain ways. And you and I have exchanged stories of the way people try to bully you, even here at Spaceland. Yep. And back to if you weren't a woman, they probably wouldn't have bullied you, but you didn't accept that as a woman. Right. Um, one of the reasons I, I, I fell in love in that is in a respectful, friendly way with you right away is the reason I am in love with my wife. You're a strong, independent woman. <laughs> I love a woman who can stand up for herself. There's nothing for me is is – this is not meant perverted, but a bigger turn on than a woman who is a strong, independent, powerful woman. Thank I see you. that, and it's just like, oh my god, <laughs> you know. I I, uh, I I hate because it's so cool to be woman live. Like, oh my god, I'm all about women's rights, right? You know that that is a cool thing to be. Yeah. Um. So it's hard for me to. It's not hard for me to to be that way. Um. But at the same time, I, I, I think people who know me realize I don't just say things because I feel that way. Yeah. I say things because, man, I look at my wife and what she battles every day. Actually, mm-hmm. we just talked before you guys showed up about her work and what's going on and a guy at work who's difficult because of his biases towards sex. Mm. Um, how hard 
do you think it is for women to adapt to the sport? That's a good question. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, you have to be strong. If you're going to, if you're, one thing's jumping as a female in the sport, you have to, as an AFF, that's one of my favorite parts. It's kind of why I wanted to become an AFF instructor, um, was for the ladies, was I learned from a woman at Skydive San Diego, Rebecca, and she's she's smaller than Val is. She's probably 120 pounds, maybe 5'5", five, five, really tiny girl, um, but very strong woman and would handle some of the biggest guys as well. So from me starting, I saw, oh, if she can do it, like, I can do it too. Um, and so, and Anna was the same way in Columbia, very small. So I feel like, I try to, with the women, with the lady jumpers that are getting their A license, I try to, you know, not not warn them, but try to tell them, you know, um, to be strong and try to give them a little bit of guidance, too. I think um, warn's a fair word. Yeah, and just kind of always have their back, too, and tell them. When I teach a ground school, I like to always say, like, I'm with you guys for life now. If you need anything, come to me. I'm here for you. Um, and especially to the girls, too. You know, if you have any questions. And there's been some... Some AF, some STP students, you know, that kind of get in the mix up of it all, and they end up coming back to me like, "Oh, I'm in this situation. Like, what do I do?" And I love being able to be there for Close them, and your hopefully, legs. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, for real, don't hook up with so many females get into the sport, and and, and man, first of all, I'll sl- let you say it. Pretty much, yeah. slut is the female word for stud. If you choose to be a stud, a guy who sleeps around with a lot of women, it's respected. If you choose to be a slut and you want to sleep around with a lot of dudes, that's, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not going to disrespect that. Yeah. And I'm not saying every girl who sleeps with the skydivers right away is a slut. But yeah. what happens is you get so quickly enamored with the sport. You get so quickly enamored with these instructors mm-hmm. that you quickly fall legitimately head over heels with these guys. That you're not being a slut in the t- traditional sense. Yeah. That you're not just sleeping with dudes. You're being enamored with them, but I would encourage any gal or guy, but most particularly gals, who get in the sport, avoid any relationship in the sport for your first six months to a year in the sport. Definitely. Fall in love with the sport and the sport alone. Absolutely. And then when you are no longer blinded by the love of the sport, then allow a relationship to become a possibility. Yep. And... I didn't even, I don't think I meant to do that when I started, but I was so obsessed with the skydiving part of it. I had just gone out of a relationship in San Diego when I started skydiving and I was obsessed with it. So I never felt, I never, that never happened for me to be with guys in San Diego. And I was just so obsessed with the skydiving part of it. And it actually became a rule of mine was. um, Oh, you have to answer it. It's my my watch. I was going to say that's the rule if it rings on the show. Yeah, no. I I hit a button on my watch. I was just fidgeting with my watch. And if I hit that button on my watch, it makes my phone ring. So Um, so that's that's the advice I try to... And it keeps... It doesn't look like a a smart watch. Not at all. Fossil makes these super dope hybrid watches. It's uh, called the Nate in this case. It looks like a normal analog super nice watch. Yeah. But it vibrates. So it vibrates if I get notifications. I set who and what it vibrates for. So in this case, if Val texts me or calls me or emails me, it vibrates and points to number one. Both hands immediately swing around to number one. 
if my sister calls or texts me, it goes to number three. If my and so I have it set for certain notifications that points at different okay. numbers. So it's not blowing up all day. That would drive no. me crazy. So this is yeah. like I I need my emergency my my mother, my sister, and my wife are people who would contact me in emergencies. So they're all programmed into it. Mm-hmm. And then I'll like randomly program like, oh, I'm hanging out with homies today. So if I need to hear from like Woodbury, then I'll assign Woodbury to a That's number. That's pretty cool. So it's my low key. And it doesn't look like a high no. tech thing. And I can take, if I hit one button, I take pictures with my phone. If I hit another button, it rings my phone in case I lose it. If I hit these buttons. So it's it really, yeah. it's a it's a dumb smartwatch. I like it. Yeah. So it's not bothering me all day. So it's only as smart as the user, though. Unfortunately, well, then it's a really idiot <laughs> Shit, watch, bro. Good point, Justin. <laughs> <Real> idiot. <laughs> so back to you. Um, yeah. So I. Tr- that's the point I try to tell people. I don't like to tell girls what to do, but I'm like, yeah, definitely try to fall in love with skydiving as your priority, yeah. and I feel like that will guide people. That guides girls pretty well i've seen so many guys and gals get in a relationship on the drop zone the relationship goes south then they're embarrassed to show back up to the drop zone Mm -hmm. or don't want the awkwardness of showing back up to the drop zone because that other person will be there right and because of that they stop skydiving and lose touch of the sport and i've heard from many friends over the years that, man, I wish I never lost touch of the sport, and I lost touch of the sport because I didn't want to see Woodbury. I lost touch of the sport because I didn't want to be around DJ. Mm-hmm. You know, man, avoid uh, six months to a year. Right. And, and I made a mistake of, of hooking up with a gal or two early on in skydiving. And I say yeah. a mistake. They were very nice gals. I, I won't say anything ill or wrong of them, but definitely yeah. that awkwardness early on. Yeah. Fortunately, I was a big enough of a DZ that that it was easy to avoid. Right. Um, so it, it worked out. And there's out. so many people to meet at a drop zone when you're starting. I mean, you like you take your canopy course, you meet all your friends in there. You have at Spaceland, you have the mentor program for a hundred jumps. So no, people have got married in my canopy course. Really? Not in from um, the can- like they meet in the. Canopy- I think three now marriages from people who've met in the canopy course. I am like the freaking uh, oh, the dating Jesus. game. What what is that show? <laughs> What's the show where they? Is it the dating game? Is that the right one? I don't know. I forget. It's a super old show. I'm showing my age at this point uh, that I can't remember. It's a, a super old show where they basically set you up with a blind date through a game show. So uh, I don't know. Steve yeah. Barker, you were on the show. You tell me what the name of that stupid show was. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, not joking. Um, yeah. uh, definitely, you've been so you've been that role model to those women. I and, try. I try. And for those women who are thinking about getting involved with a sport and you're intimidated by the idea that it is hard to be a woman in the sport. The dating game. The dating game. That was it. Um, And Steve Barker really was on the show. But to uh, work into skydiving stunts, you have to have your SAG card, Screen Actors Guild card. And you have to have so many TV appearances and whatnot. So he went on the dating game <laughs> just to count as one of his appearances to help get his SAG card. That just so. reminds me of the movie Mall Rats. Have you yeah. seen that one? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you get the whole re- the rest of that story. Oh yeah, um, man. As much as I will say it can be intimidating for women being an AFF instructor sometimes. Man, I don't know how many times I've watched students training and a guy hang on every word the girl is saying as a female instructor <laughs> there is an empowerment in being in a lady as well yeah def- I, absolutely i've watched yeah. dudes not listen to hank i've watched dudes not listen to me i've watched dudes not listen to whoever the instructor is and then a female's the instructor and all of a sudden they're like yeah. yeah 
And I think (laughs) we're pretty strict, too. I feel like when I am working with a guy, sometimes they do have a little bit of an attitude at first, maybe towards a female, or they're just not paying attention, whatever it is. Uh, But I get pretty strict with them, and I feel like they like that. They respect people, and I see it with Val as well, is you stand your ground and you make them listen, and it works. You know Val well. Yeah. We hang out, actually. Would you say Val is a scary person at all? No. But. But. How many people think she is? Yeah, because you have to be like that, though, for sure. Because she's strict. She knows. I've seen her on a a, a STP jump out of the plane. I mean, she's she's in charge. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love love it. Strong, independent (laughs) woman. Oh, my God. I'm so in love with that girl. Oh, I can't help myself. So I want to go backwards a little bit. And we've really kind of wandered. It's just the nature of this show. No, it's Uh, good. The hardest part, once again, was not making the decision to quit. Mm-hmm. It was, and it wasn't really executing the decision to quit. Yeah. It was the absolute decision to make that execution. So good question. I like how you circle back. The hardest part, honestly, so the Columbia part was great. South America was good. I then went to Puerto Rico. I got my coach rate in Puerto Rico. After Columbia, I was set. I was like done with just kind of traveling. I was determined to start getting ratings and um i went to puerto rico got my coach rating there and then it was kind of game on like i now want my aff rating and um i had gotten enough taste of being free and wanting to keep traveling and wanting to work in skydiving at that point and i think the hardest part of all of this was to keep making choices to not go back into that because I clearly remember being in Puerto Rico trying to, at that point I had committed to the um, unlimited jump package in Chicago for a month. So I knew I was going to be there for July with Daniela from Colombia. And I got a call in Puerto Rico from one of my favorite bosses, my first job um, out of college. And she said, okay, I've seen you're having fun. Like this is all great about skydiving, but can you please come back to San Diego and work for me? Like, I'm going to pay you this much. It's for a really good nonprofit company. We're going to make big changes in the world. And I remember sitting on that um, house. It was actually, you know, Felipe at um, uh, Saison. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was his house. He was letting a bunch of skydivers live there. And um, I was sitting on that house, and I said, and it's hard when you're running out of money. You don't know your next step. You don't know what's coming next. You don't know your next job. You're... I mean, you know you love skydiving, but you don't know what's what. You know, I, don't, I don't know if I have the skills. I, at that point, I had 300 jumps. I didn't know if I could really become an AFF instructor or a videographer at a big drop zone. I didn't. I had zero idea what was ahead of me. My parents were like, okay, kind of like, we love you doing this adventure, but what's next? And at that point, it's scary to turn down a really good job offer of having all those comforts and all your friends are back in San Diego and saying no, like... And so that happened once that was in May. Um, and then again, it happened fast forward, went to Europe, did Chicago, did a road trip across being a circle back to that. But, um, after Europe, it happened again of an old boss calling and saying, please come back and work for me. Um, in Los Angeles, we want you to be an, a product category manager again. Here's the offer. And, when you have run out of the money you've put away, like this, the budget amount mm-hmm. I had to say and missing like that comfort, missing all that, that I think that's been the hard, that w- was the hardest part of it all of being like not leaving because that was fun, but then to stay on the path and to stay away from that and not letting it kind of suck you back in. 
So that question yeah. leads to life advice. Yeah. How many people have we all heard say, man, you know, Justin, you're part-time in the sport, but you, I'm positive you've heard somebody say, man, I want to do your job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then yeah. you, and we'll talk a little bit more about the tunnel. We're I was the same going. way. Yeah, you were the same way. Yeah. Um, you have heard so many times, I've heard so many times, people say, I would love to do this for a living, but I can't. Why can't you? And occasionally there is yeah. a legitimate reason, not excuse. Excuses aren't legitimate. Reasons are. But for many people, they can choose to do what we do for a living with enough planning. Right. What advice, what what does it take? What do people need to know and what do people need to do to make the decision you made? I love that question. I would say you have to be obsessed. Like you have to love what you are ch- making that change for way more than whatever you're holding on to. So if you're in love with maybe that big house of yours or that really nice Mercedes or your huge 401k or your premium health benefits, whatever it is, like you have to love what you're making that change for. And for me, that's been flying. I mean, I've gotten criticized by it from certain people that are close to me, but um, of being too obsessed, like wanting it too badly. And that's honestly the only thing that's gotten me through these past two years is being so in love with it that I choose it over a lot. And I feel like if you're kind of like, ah, like, I like skydiving, like it'd be cool to be an AFF instructor, but like I really love my six figure job, then you'll never I mean, it's not you're not gonna make the change. You have to figure out what's what your priority is. A, a lot of people know me. I, I have a company, the Rating Center. I enjoy my job. I have a few people who work with me. Yeah. Um, if you know me well enough, you see the car I drive, and people will say you drive a really nice car. People who realize what car is mine, like, oh my god, you have a nice car. Mm-hmm. They come to our house and like, man, you have a nice house. No, my wife has a nice house. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Val. Speaking of yeah, that badass lady, girl, how you doing, my sugar mama? <laughs> um, and, and a big part of it is, is I do pay my half of the bills. I do. I have earned my keep and earned my role. Um, but man, I once upon a time slept in the video room on a wrestling mm-hmm. mat. That was my life. Right. I lived in a bunk room. I had a blanket. I I got the bottom bunk. I put a blanket underneath the mattress of the top bunk that draped over, so I had a curtain <laughs> yes. just to give myself any level of isolation. Uh-huh. I lived out of a cooler and the drop zone fridge. Right. Um, when a buddy didn't wasn't in town, he let me stay in his RV, and that was a fucking vacation. Man, I made so many sacrifices to be exactly. where I made it. You bring up such a good point. I feel like for me too, I'm like, now you're in a comfortable house. I'm feeling pretty comfortable. I have an apartment now. I'm in, I'm in Houston. But people don't see the sacrifices you make. They have no idea. And it's easy to be like, oh, I want that job. I want to live what you're doing. And people, you don't see the background. Like when you're living in a fridge, wouldn't you agree? Like it's because you love skydiving so much. Oh, so much. Yeah. You're obsessed. You're obsessed with it. So of course you're going to live in a fridge. Like I lived in crazy, awful situations over some, some points in those two years. And what kept you going? Yeah. You have to love it, but it's easy. I think it's so easy for people to see from the outside. Like, oh, you're, you're doing this like must be so nice but people don't see those sacrifices you've made and what you've done to get to where what you're doing now one of the things mm-hmm. that people say all the time and i'll argue with it is uh if you do what you love for a living you'll never work a day in your life 
-hmm. My argument is is (laughs) you've never done what you love for a living. Right. I would say the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) Now, I do what I love for a living. I've mentioned Mm -hmm. my boy Steve Barker does what he loves for a living. I've been skydiving 22 years. Mm -hmm. Steve Barker was a full-time skydiver when I started skydiving, and he still is one today. That means he's been full-time skydiving for a long fucking time. Yeah. And he loves it. You do what you love for a living. Mm -hmm. When I have a shitty day, I just know. I've dug ditches before. I've laid sprinklers before. I've done landscape uh, architecture before, architecture, which means I've installed sprinklers and grass and sod and trees. Um, I've also done uh, mowed the grass. I've worked behind a desk. I've done it all. And any of those jobs on a good day are good. They're great. But right. man, a bad day at what I love, it's, it's a job, but man, it's still, it is a great job. Exactly. You're still following your dream on an awful day. Yeah. When you're locked in an office, in a corporate office, and you have this horrible, horrific day, which I have had plenty <laughs> of, you're like, what am I doing? Like, I could go spend $1,000 right now, and it wouldn't make the day, but there's no point in that day. There's no, there's no yeah. reason. You're not following any dream. So. One of the most drunk times I've ever had in my life uh, every Tuesday night we would get together for two dollar Tuesday at movie theaters. This was in San Diego, nice. And the the local uh, pub bar right next to the place we would have a few drinks before the movie. And I ordered three or four drinks in a row, like straight, like boom. And the waitress was like, "What happened at work today?" I'm like, "Nothing." <laughs> she goes, "What's going on? Why are you drinking?" And then she knew us. Ex- but exactly, people they immediately assume your life is so bad because you're drinking that much. Yeah. And the thing that I want people to realize and really the point of this whole if you do what you love for a living, you've never worked a day in your life not being true, understand when you go to work full time in the sport, you said it, you're going to make sacrifices. Yeah. Half of my friends live in an RV that doesn't always have working to- uh, 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 or, uh, working showers. Most of them have working toilets. Some of them actually have to go to the drop zone to use the bathroom. Right. Some of them have to take showers in the drop zone. Most of them do have working bathrooms. Yep. Most of them don't have great kitchens. They probably have the option for a working kitchen, but they don't have great kitchens. They right. all cook out together. Yeah. Community dinners are partially about the community and the RV park, but part of it is is Name half those guys on the drop zone who could cook a good dinner by themselves without getting a ramen package out. <laughs> no, they can't. You're going to make a lot of sacrifices. Yeah, so many. I mean, so many. But if you love it, it's, I mean, it's absolutely worth it. There's no question about it. So, number one, you're going to make sacrifices. Mm-hmm. So, how do you decide to commit? How do you decide to pull the trigger? To, to switch. Yeah, how do you decide that it's time for me to do this job? What what really allowed you to do it? So I guess I'll kind of backtrack. So I was, so Europe, um, I had met someone in Puerto Rico. We ended up traveling throughout Europe together. Um, and then that led to then traveling to Florida. This was fast forward to November. We went to Florida. That's where I got, I got my... Sorry, DJ. AFF rating at um, Skydive Rating. Oh, don't apologize. <laughs> Brom Clement Skydive Ratings, yeah. I fully support. He, yeah. Brom does a yeah. great job. I The rating center I own, yeah. I don't care who you go to. I care that yeah. you go to a great examiner. Yeah. Brom and his company is great. Yeah. It was amazing. Um, so for me, it was, like I said, none of it was necessarily planned. I will go back to your question of how do you make that decision. But for me... Um, I was at skydive ratings, just got my AFF rating the day, the next day I broke my wrist. Um, and so 
that whole plan of like, okay, I'm going to go work part-time doing AFF kind of got postponed. Um, and then at that point, I was living at Skydive Ratings, like you said, of living situations. I was living in a trailer with no running water, no electricity, half of it. The only livable part was about like a third of the size of this room. So it was just the bedroom, like one bed. Um, there's no fridge, nothing. I mean, nothing. And it was on the far, farthest side of the drop zone to walk to the bathroom was, I swear, like a mile walk. Um, and for any guys listening, like, okay, whatever. For a girl, I, I'll play the girl card. It's hard. And I had a broken wrist. My r- right arm was broken. Wasn't from skydiving, by the way. Um, from hitting a man. Yeah. <laughs> no, from falling, stupidly. Um, and so for me, it was, then it gave me six weeks of having to live like that, of being like, this show should I go back to corporate what do I want to do and at that point I was convinced like enough's enough like I need to go back this it's been a year of traveling I need to go back and work um so for me at that point I like I'm know I'm still obsessed with skydiving but I miss my career I miss having that stability I started looking at options of like working in skydiving companies so I interviewed with skydive Paris to run their marketing um, I interviewed with flight one to run their marketing, started looking at those kind of options. And I thought that, you know, you combine that with like your love for skydiving, your career background sounds good. Um, but at the end of the day, like I really believe I'm meant to work in this right now. Like I want to be flying and that's how much I love it. Um, and so I kind of played around with that idea. Um, and then realized that was not the right path either was to work to be that would still mean being back in the office and I was so I was just ready to keep flying um I'd gotten to do quite a bit of it that year um so that's when I came to Spaceland and I feel like for me it was kind of like a not a I don't know it was like a very like you go this way or that way like I go back into corporate or I hold on to this dream. I love it so much. I'm going to go work, like take a risk and just move to Spaceland. Ride and, with a complete stranger to a yeah, drop zone you don't even exactly. know. Exactly. Like just go. If you want it, like I guess that's my answer is if you want it so badly, like that's the time to do it. Like even my wrist was still like it was hurting. It was out of the cast, but it was not moving that well. And um, there was someone driving from Florida to Texas, Jay, yeah. and uh, had never met him, but he's friends with some of my friends, and he connected me with Ben. And Ben's like, "Yeah, just come here." And my mom was in Florida at the time. She and my sister dropped me off at a restaurant, and Jay pulled into the parking lot, said, "Get in the car," and we drove to Texas. And it wasn't even like, like I said, it wasn't a logical decision of like I'm quitting my corporate job or I'm doing, I'm gonna go work in it. It was like, it's either go be miserable and make go back in the corporate job or like go take a chance. And I think it's all about timing for people too. Um, So for me, it was just that kind of line of events and not having, I felt like at that point too, I had fought so hard to like live through living in that trailer, like to have gone through a broken wrist to, there was a lot of other stuff that had happened. Um, And so I was like, I'm not done fighting this battle. And so um, I would say my advice for other people is like, the time is when you're so done with whatever you're doing and you're so in love with something else. And even if people aren't skydivers listening to this too, I think that can be taken for any hobby, you know, and like skydiving is a pretty extreme example of 
jumping out of planes and all of that, our lifestyle. But there's other examples for people too of like maybe you love running so much or maybe you love a book club. I mean, there's no matter what people's passions are, there's different avenues than just draining your life and your soul, whatever, you know, you're stuck doing. So I would say it's a, a matter of timing, like planning and then wanting something so badly. How many full-time skydivers do you know who've been full-time skydivers more than a small handful of years? Not most of them. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And the point I make with that is so many full-time skydivers do it for a very short time. Yeah. And part of it is is it was an experience worth that amount of time and that's all you needed and or wanted out of it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it is is for so many people, it's been like, I've got to try it. Right. And the thing is, is I do know friends who work a corporate job who've been a full-time skydiver and who are very happy in that corporate world. And they weren't unhappy with skydiving. They enjoyed it, but they're happy in the corporate world because they know they've tried. They know they've put themselves out there. They know they've taken the risks. Yeah. What if? What if? How many of you live with the question, what if, every day? And our next conversation is about to happen. Because at some point you said, what if I became a tunnel instructor? And you questioned Mm -hmm. that for a while. And you said, fuck what if. Yeah. Let's find out. That's such a good point. Mm -hmm. And so what if so many full-time skydivers or or so many yeah full-time skydivers quit being full-time skydivers, but now they're happy in their corporate job. Now they're happy in their corporate world or whatever they're doing because the what if question is expired and not necessarily expired, but it's been extinguished. Yeah. And, and, And they know that answer. And so A, if you're young. Taking the risk is not hard. You and I did this when we didn't have kids, when we didn't have relationships. Yeah. Now, my wife and I are at a point where we, you know, we've been married. We've been living together for 15 years, 16 years. Uh, we are in our 40s. We know we don't want kids. So it really won't ever affect our lifestyle. Right. But if you're young enough and you don't have kids, it won't affect your lifestyle. If you're old enough. You know, save money, decide you want to do this and take two years right. and set aside enough money and know that for I have enough money to survive a year without any income. Right. Don't count on making any money in the sport and have all your bills paid for for a year. Yeah. And then all the money you make in the sport is just extra money to put away or extra money to take exactly. care of life. Exactly. And you bring up a good point. I feel like if you're thinking about it, my advice is to go all in. Like, don't, if I had stayed in San if looking back at least at my life, like, if I had stayed in San Diego and somehow, like, had gotten enough jumps there to start teaching AFF, like, if I, at least for me, like, kind of doing both, like, I wouldn't have grown as much as I have from just going all in, too. So, I mean, Justin, you're in the room, you're doing part-time and working full-time. I mean, that's that's amazing. Like, you found a really good balance, but... For people who are like really unhappy, I'd say, in their job and feeling like they need a huge change then and they're not happy in their career, like by all means, just go for it. Like you said, save up and live a little bit and at least save up for a year. And there are ways to do it. I hear people say all the time, like, I could never save up to go travel. Like, well, I stopped going out to the bar. I stopped partying. And I stopped. For me, it was a lifestyle change those years in San Diego, too, of like, I'm putting all my money to saving for this next step and for skydiving. So it's all about choices and how you want to live in your current situation. And a lot of people say I can never save, but then they're going out to the bar every night, too. So... Like it is possible to save and it is possible to break away. And um, 
if it does if you hate it then you can always go back to whatever you're doing before too if you want but i think a lot of the times like from that freedom of even if you don't want to work in skydiving for forever and you do it for a couple years like the way you live and the different things you see in it you learn so much that it's worth it man it's uh i I love the way you say that and it, it back to so many of our guests tell me like, well, what do I have to share when I ask you to be on the show? And, and you asked me the same question. I resisted for a while. You, huh? you did. <laughs> and uh, and privately, a lot of your logic reasoning was very fair. Yeah, I give you a pretty good explanation. No, and, and, yeah. and you were very, very fair about that explanation. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Um, but at the same time, I gave you my explanation of what you had to share. And when mm-hmm. I did, you said, cool, then not yet. Yeah. And then you gave me the explanation of yeah. not yet. And, and I think right there, you just really encompassed what I want people to hear and share and learn from you mm. is that we're about to segue into the last part. And I, I want to talk about how fuck it. What if, what if, what if, and the last, what if you have is what if I could be in a tunnel mm-hmm. before we talk about that for one second, Justin, I want you to queue up a graphic that we're about to show. And if you've been watching this live on Facebook, you've noticed our normal gravity lab radio logo on the screen is different than normal. And it is actually super retro eighties looking, uh, film festival logo. So Justin, why don't you go ahead and pop that up? And our 2019 film festival, Justin, quote me if I'm wrong here. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is October 26th? Did I get that date right, buddy? Yes. Sweet is October 26th here at Spaceland Houston. We are doing it at one location and one location only. We are going for one prize and one prize only. There is one winner. Take all. We have not got the prize list completely compiled yet, so I won't uh, complete it. I won't give you the whole the full details. But what we do have is we have our new posters. They will be up at Spaceland Houston as of this weekend. They are printed. They are produced. I pick them up tomorrow. So tomorrow, uh, Justin, that picture behind you will be replaced. And we'll actually start uh, the archive. So year one and year two posters are going (laughs) up here. So I've been waiting for that. And then eventually year three and year four will be over there. Uh, That poster will be up at Spaceland Houston. You see that poster there now. Mad shout out to Option Studios, Adam Buckner. Um, I give him an email with information, and uh, this is what he came up with. And if you were to read my email, you would see he hit the nail on the effing head. Those graphics are sick. Dude, he, he I love the 80s it. retro. So I will tell you guys, there are three Easter eggs in this poster. As always, we are big on Easter eggs. We are big on having fun. One of them, I would say, is more obvious than not. Justin, would you agree? Yeah, I would say yeah, so. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's fucking epic, Justin. I'm glad you love it. I think it's the only orange on there. <laughs> the other two, I would say, are a lot less obvious. Justin, would you agree to that as well? Oh, yeah. So enjoy looking it at it. It took me a minute. You had to explain it. When you see the poster, when you enjoy the poster, take a peek at it, enjoy it. Film Festival, October 26th. Videos are limited to five minutes long. We have no copyright music royalty free uh, uh, a clause. If you are making a video for the film festival, I'll ask you and beg you, please use royalty free music. And the only reason I ask that is if you win, we can share your video on social media. If you choose to use copyrighted non-royalty-free music, and you win, we can't share it on social media. But you're still going to win, so I don't fucking care. Win, win, win. Use whatever music you want. I want to share your video. I want to share what you do with the world. So please use royalty-free music. But 
I don't really care. Right now, we do have LMB on the line already, an Aries 2, a low, a, a Protract 2. Those two devices combined are a total of $750. I will be looking at the other details, the other prizes. We'll get more people involved, and we'll announce those in the weeks to come. But we are on our official push, Film Festival 2019. I know people are coming big already. There are skits coming. There are good videos coming. I know at least several really good things coming. Uh, a buddy of mine, Jackson, Jackson Brockwell, was talking about, I don't know if I want to enter. I don't know if I could put a video out there good enough. Guys and gals, the promo video Nick Lott uses is not the video you're competing against. You are not competing at the quality level that Nick Lott produces, and that's what intimidates people. I show Jackson videos from the last two years of the entries, and he goes, oh, man, I can do that. So enter what you have. Mm -hmm. And even this year, uh, I'll go to last year's second uh, place. The runner-up last year who really almost won, he was one vote behind, is Glenn Downing. Glenn Downing lost by one vote. The previous year, he wasn't even in the running. He had a good video the previous year, but he wasn't even in the running. But he learned enough from that year that the next year he almost won it. And I'm willing to guess that this year he might come back with another phenomenal video. So please check it out. Let us know. If you've got questions, send us an email at monty at gravitylabradio.com or hit us up through uh, Facebook Messenger on uh, the Gravity Lab Facebook page, and we'll do our best to answer your questions when we can, how we can. You can talk to Justin, myself, or Mr. P. Nicklaw in person at the Drop Zone. Let us know if you have any questions, any guidance, any direction. We'd be happy to help you out, happy to give you any suggestions, and uh, have it happen. So Film Festival. Awesome. I'm excited. Man. What if? How many people die in life wondering what if? So many. Right? Like, people are so caught up. Like, there's, I think it's most people worry about what other people think, too. You know? If they yeah. have these big dreams, but they're more worried about, like, what if I get judged for this? Or what if I fail? Or what if it's not, like, what if this dream is so big that it actually works out? Like, maybe I could do it. You know? It's all the fear behind it. Do you it's remember scary. some of your biggest failures? Yeah. Who else remembers those? No one cares. Nobody probably, no right? No one cares at no all. No one cares. Except for you. Yeah. Except for you. So, man, I'm afraid of failing. I'm afraid of people's opinions. The things I'm worried about, nobody else is. Yeah. How vain am I to think that you really care about how what I'm doing? Exactly. Right? Yeah. People might care and might laugh at you maybe for a little bit, but not really. They're so worried about their lives. They don't... They don't care at all. A very well-known yeah. saying is 15 minutes of fame. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's 15 minutes. Yeah. You're gone. It's a flash in the pan. Yeah. Your success is only temporary. Um, your, your, your failures are only temporary. People will not remember them. You will be the only person. And you got to choose to focus on them. Right. You remember some of your biggest failures, but you don't dwell on them. Is that fair? Yeah. yeah. I, exactly. They all – you learn from and. I mean, there's been some that are bigger than others, but yeah, I mean, you. I've learned. I've learned way more th from those failures than I have from su the successes. I would say, or the the steps that I've taken of falling back to get to those successes. That you learn from that. You learn so much about yourself too. It's easy to say. It's hard. It's really shitty in the moment, but easy to say, hard to execute. Yeah, but yeah. it's true. It's definitely true. So this whole episode has really been about what if, man. Stop yeah. asking yourself what if and try it. Just do it. I mean, do it. Like, right. stop being scared. And there's, I mean, if you can plan a little bit, 
you'll go through some hard times. You're going to stumble. It's going to be hard, but it's so it's so worth it. I mean, it's your one shot. It's your do it. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. So once upon a time, my friend Woodbury (laughs) confided in me and said, "DJ, I'm thinking about going to the wind tunnel." Do you remember that it was at sushi? Yeah, yeah. I think it was last. Maybe July. I can't tell you when it was. You can nail it down. I shouldn't say it out loud. Oh, yeah. you're welcome. I to don't say know. It now it doesn't matter. It doesn't. I made the transition. Yeah. And at some point, you told me, "Fuck it, I've got to try." Yeah. Right. And you did, and you finally gave it a try. You finally gave it an effort. Yeah. And we've had quite a few tunnel instructors on the show. The one thing we haven't had is a female tunnel instructor. And in the mm-hmm. limited time we have left, and we don't, we don't have tons of time. Yeah. I want to talk about being a female tunnel instructor. Because yeah. let's be a female AFF instructor or male AFF instructor for one day. Yeah. If you have 10 students, look at that picture right there on Facebook. If you're Such watching this on picture. Facebook Live, that is Woodbury's <laughs> instructor photo. And it is a phenomenal photo of you. It is, it is beautiful. I do love that photo. Oh, thank um, you. You're welcome. Um, as a female or, or male, as a, as a skydiving instructor, if you have 10 to 15 students in a day, you've had a very full, very busy day. Right. As a tunnel instructor, 40 is a busy day. Right. Right. Exactly. So you're, you're, you, there's, it's a much more taxing job. Yeah. Physically much more taxing job. Yeah. You're not a big woman. No. You're not a strong woman. And I know, I mean that physically, not emotionally. Mm. Emotionally, I would think otherwise. Thank you. You know, right now I look at you and you're in pretty good shape, but you have yeah. guns like mine and I don't have guns. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I have toothpicks for arms. Yeah. What's the experience like being a, female in the tunnel it's such a good question um i love it so kind of how much time do we have as much time as we need okay i'll try to make it to backtrack a tiny bit what you touch on is for people that know i worked at space on full-time last summer and then it kind of became i had committed to the season and so it was i had committed to steven like i'll be here for the season and see where life goes and i was jumping a lot and working a lot but this dream of mine had always had kind of developed I guess throughout the two years of wanting to be that instructor and so I kind of laugh now is like right as I got comfortable at Spaceland with AFF and video I started really wanting the tunnel too um and so I was at full-time Spaceland it was pretty much like March through October and then um I went through FITP with iFly um and so it's been maybe nine months now as an instructor and you nailed it on the head. I mean, it's not to play the woman card, but it, it, I mean, it is a different experience. And Zori's the other female in Houston at the iFly tunnel. And so she and I, we both went through FITP together and it's, I mean, as a female, it is possible, but I'll be very honest that you have to fight for it harder. Absolutely. Like the two, it was two of us females and then three of, um, three males. And you mentioned technique before with Val and AFF. Um, and so you, I mean, you can't just muscle any 300 pounder that comes in there. I mean, that's the maximum way to I fly. So you have to learn technique. And so we had this amazing examiner that came and taught us, um, our FITP. And so for anyone listening that doesn't know that it's where you, it's a month long training program to become an instructor. And for us, it was 12 hours overnight, um, extremely physically um, challenging. It became emotionally challenging because we were so sleep deprived. Our bodies were all thrown off from that overnight schedule. Um, and so Zori and I 
Who did your FITP? Um, Benjamin McAndrews. Okay. He's from Florida. They flew Flight in. instructor training program, by the way, for those who need it. Yeah. So they flew in someone from um, Orlando. Amazing. And then Jed, who's also here in Houston, he assisted that. Who's He was also great. Uh, Is Jed still at Memorial? He's at Woodlands right now. Um, okay. But he does come over and do some training with us. I know he bounces back and forth. Yeah. He's actually in Austin right now. He's about to get that level four or trainer t4 I yeah, think. yeah yeah he, he's, he's a it. badass man. yeah he him. is he's he was great during fitp um so i mean i feel like we were so determined we wanted it so badly that we stuck with it to learn that technique and to know that yeah the guys i mean they have more muscle we were with guys that weighed like 200 250 pounds in FITP. They were almost double our weight, but we wanted it so badly, and our instructor was completely confident in us that if you learn the technique, you can handle anyone in there. And sure enough, we both take 300 pound people in there, and we have that we built that technique that, and we also, I mean, don't get me wrong, we both work out every single day too, almost every day, and we weight train and we do yoga and we run and um, there's a whole, and I had done a lot of that training before the FITP yes, as well. You did. <laughs> I was determined. I was like running the runway every, I mean, every chance I got. Our dinners were limited because of your workout yeah. program. And I came in with that mission last summer. I mean, the space, and I knew I wanted something more. And also, my health didn't feel great when I got here because I've been living in that trailer in Florida. But I knew last summer at Space Line, like, I don't really want to jump into the party scene here i want and so instead it was like go home after work get up at 6 a.m weight train i did the beach body program it was this pretty extensive like hour workout every single morning um and yeah if i'm out if i was out to dinner i'd be like nope sorry you gotta go to bed te- go to bed by 10 i'm getting up to train and i had um, to approve dinner places with you when we would yeah, go to dinner because i was so focused on eating yeah. healthy and i'm i mean i'm still I kind of haven't let down on that because you have you have to keep it up to be an instructor. I mean, a lot of us. That's what I do love about iFly, and um, is all of us or most of us there are very health focused, and you kind of have to be. I mean, in all our own way. Like Rory's a vegan, Nick's super keto. Some people don't really care, but everyone to a degree care about eating healthy and well, taking care of themselves. Let's let's kind of sidetrack on that conversation. Most yeah. full time skydivers don't care. And it's the truth. Most school full-time skydivers eat like shit, treat their bodies like shit. Yeah. And I want to go to a shoulder recovery. I I had a shoulder surgery. My shoulder was fully dislocated. Uh Uh-huh. And in my rehab, in my recovery, my doctor said, DJ, this is going to sound funny, but you're a professional athlete and I'm going to treat you as one. I said, Doc, it doesn't sound funny. He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, I rely on my body to make my living. He goes, you get it. You're a professional athlete. You're a full-time athlete. You're going to go through, and my doctor, my my uh, my orthopedic surgeon, uh, does work for the for the uh, Houston Texans and for the Astros both. So he works with a lot nice. of professional, true athletes, true, truly professional athletes. Orthopedic surgeons either work with true athletes or old people. That I don't know if, if you've <laughs> ever heard known that, but they really do a true lot. True story. Of, <laughs> you, I picked the one that did all the athletes. Yeah, and so smart move. It, it's it's uh he he said that you're gonna. I'm going to give you a training regiment. The training regiment I did, the recovery regiment I did, was equal to that that he would put a Houston Texan through nice. with the exception of the amount of weights I could do. The amount of, yeah. you know, he goes, this is a schedule. You're going to match their schedule, not their abilities. I said, I'm yeah. in, boss. Let's go. And the point I make with that is you are a professional athlete. You need to wake up tomorrow morning and you need to do 10 to 12 tandems, 10 to 15, 15 to 20. AFF jumps, video jumps, pack, 
Get on all the loads you can get on. Fly 20 right. high flights. Work yeah. with 40 students. Right. Throw a dozen spots. Right. You are going to work and tax your body to the limit. Right. And I love that about, and I don't think it's true of every iFly because I know a lot of iFlies. Yeah. But I would agree at the Memorial iFly, the majority of staff there does understand that their body is their tool. Right. And that we are athletes. Right. So why aren't you treating yourself that way? Exactly. And when you're in there with a 300-pound person or maybe it's this awful flyer, you don't want to just feel good. You want to feel completely capable and no question that you can handle it. Um, And then for me right now, I'm doing Saturdays. It's been Saturday space on like 730. I've been space on during the day and then I fly in the evenings um, on the weekends and which has been quite an adventure of its own. But on those days, like you have to be eating the very best food. You have to be on those days. I don't work out because it's completely it's like 15 hours of work. But um, you want during the week to build yourself up for those Saturdays and Sundays of, okay, I'm working 730 a.m. to 11 p.m. at night. Like I need premium food i need premium training for my body and there's not really a choice you know at first like i think last summer it was a little bit challenging getting here and like that's how you make friends is you stay and you party at night at the drop zone and for me i i have nothing zero against that i mean a lot of people enjoy that lifestyle but um for me it was i don't really i want to go home and eat good food and i want to go home and train and work sometimes do double workouts in a day and so at first it was kind of challenging but now it's like well there's no choice like I can't just stay up all night partying. Like I think, I, it, was, I think I it was kind of challenging, but I think you found the right friends to do it with. Right. We've gone to plenty yeah. of dinners together, which, by the way, exactly. we've been slacking on. We need to get I back at it. Yeah. We need to get back at it. And mm-hmm. I think early iFly really changed your schedule. Yeah. I think you're back to a point where we can do that again. We have a new manager there. He's amazing. And so he's been doing very consistent scheduling. So I have like three days. Now I have three days off a week. We can plan it. Sweet. Yeah, I would love that. And so you don't have to party. You don't have to get drunk to socialize. Right. You find the people that want to go get a drink or go to get good food in the city or, you know. I almost grabbed your ass at an ice cream shop. Remember that story? (laughs) Yeah. He thought it was Val. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Val and Woodbury from behind have very similar builds and very similar hair colors. And we were in an ice cream shop together, all mesmerized by the ice cream in the menu. Yeah, they were like, the there was a frozen ice cream. The roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Parallel, yeah. Of course, ice cream's frozen with berry. No, but they were like <laughs> melting it. <laughs> Shut up, guys. <laughs> no, they were melting it and then freezing it and doing the rolls. Yes. You didn't let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you had finished. You just didn't finish. Um, yeah. And so in the process of like being mesmerized by this ice cream process, Woodbury and Valerie and I had all moved around and apparently they had changed <laughs> enough positions that I looked in front of me and started to grab an ass and went, mm, let me move over a couple feet and grab that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's so, a compliment. Valerie's a babe. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she absolutely is. So, yeah. and, and I think you're a very attractive young lady. Aww, How are you doing? Thanks, CJ. Um, but treat your body like, a, like it is what, it, what you need. Right. And other people are depending on you, too. It's an AFF student, tandem. I mean, I fly. It's a lot of people to be strong for, you know. You want to feel safe. I don't ever want to feel weak when I'm doing any of those jumps or high flights or anything like that so male or female you should be treating your body this way in the sport skydiving indoor or outdoor you should be considering what woodbury said here but really that conversation came up to the female tunnel instructor yeah so female tunnel instructor so once getting through that training um 
it's interesting with customers, I would say. I think that's where the main difference comes up. Um, I really am grateful for the memorial staff. The guys there have been completely respectful. And we have a male GM. Um, he's very respectful of both Zori and me as females. Um, with the customers, it does get interesting sometimes. You'll walk into a classroom and you have these like 280 pound guys, very macho and very Texas. Yeah, very Texas. Exactly. Love Texas, but, um, and you definitely get some odd comments and they don't believe like, oh, you can take me in there. No way. Like, come on. And they don't believe like you're strong enough and they give you pushback and, um, it's, I mean, it's kind of hard, but you also get that as an AFF instructor. So I mm-hmm. feel like it was pretty cool to have that AFF. And the, I mean, even as a videographer, you get males like, you're going to shoot my video? Like, no. <laughs> and I know the t- girl, female tandem instructors get that too, even though like Erin, she's the most, one of the most experienced there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the drop zone kind of prepared me for that. But like you said, at iFly, you get 40, cause 40 flyers a day. And so sometimes it's, I mean, you, it's more likely because there's more people coming through. So it's fun. It makes you strong. I mean, you, and it's pretty cool to have another female work in there too because we've, we've definitely bonded over things like that and can laugh about it. And, and then you bring them in there and you show them that you're in control and they're flopping all over or they're, they obviously don't know how to fly. It's their first time. And you teach them something and you teach them how to fly. And they come out with a huge respect. It's almost the most rewarding flyers. They completely doubt you in the beginning and then you show them who's in charge and show them that you're strong and can handle them in there and then that they learn and then they come out and, you know, they buy the return pack and they tip you and a lot of times it does really turn around too. So I think they learn from it hopefully as well. One of the reasons you became a tunnel instructor, and I might throw you under the bus with this, I you, <laughs> you, you may or may not have this public knowledge, was the opportunity to become a better flyer. Part of being a tunnel instructor is free tunnel time. Yeah. Now, if you've listened to this show long enough, you will understand as a tunnel instructor, you're not learning to fly. You're not yeah. becoming a better flyer. Yeah. You're getting really good at walking around in a wind tunnel. Yep. <laughs> but one of the perks is you do get tunnel time. Yes. And one of your goals was to learn to become a better flyer using that time. Mm-hmm. How's that gone for you? I love it. I'm so grateful. I feel like for... When I was in San Diego, even with that good paying job, it was so hard to afford it. I had a good deal on coaching. I had a good deal on tunnel time. But you still, I mean, it's it's expensive, right? Yeah. So I'm, st- I mean, I know I haven't been there, it's like nine months, I said, but I'm still grateful for even those demos you get to fly. I'm still obsessed with it. So I would say if you go into it, just expecting you're naturally going to become a good flyer. It's not going to happen. You have to, I go like, we're luckily we have the woodlands here in in Houston. Mm -hmm. So I go up there. It's a lot quieter up there. I'll go there on my days off. I stay late to fly. Like you have to, you have these, this amount of time each month, but you have to want to use it. A lot of people don't use it all in each month, but I run out. A lot of my friends are stacked yeah they're maxed out i run out like the first week or two which um isn't and so but people are generous with giving some and all that but um yeah i say you even like okay you're a tunnel instructor you have the time you're there you're good but you have i mean you have to also want to use that time and improve and it is pretty cool with as an instructor you 
I mean, other instructors coach you, and you have to pay for the coaching, obviously. So. It's still three hours, use it or lose it? Um, it's an hour and a half. Hour and a half. So yep. they changed that time. Mm-hmm. Um, now, even when it was three hours, most of my friends, a lot of my friends were maxed out all the time. Yeah. Where are you at with your time? Are you still always needing more? I think I have like five minutes left for the month. <laughs> so you are using it. I'm using it every Fuck chance yes. I get. Yeah. I mean, I run out of it immediately um, and then find other little ways to <laughs> make it happen. But um, yeah. Make deals with friends. Yeah. It's pretty much. Yeah. Um, or do extra things and then they'll reward you with time. Things like that. Um, but yeah, I use it all the time. I, I would say I have three weeks off or three days off a week. I go to the t- to Woodlands. I try to go once a week up there to do half an hour training. And then um, every chance I get, like a lot of times we'll stay late and fly or you jump in for five minutes throughout the day. Any chance. I mean, you said it right. That is, I mean, they don't, iFly doesn't like it to hire people if that's your main reason. But now I do actually do love teaching people and teaching people on their first time it's become i actually do like the whole part of the job but that's why that is why i started i fly to be i wish people that i fly would understand that those are great people to hire yeah people who want to work at i fly to become better flyers Mm -hmm. you're hiring somebody with a passion of flight exactly yeah your name is i fly (laughs) and you are not wanting to hire people with a passion of flying right Uh uh-huh and it was a previous general manager, so I can say it now, but they were hesitant to hire me. They didn't really want to hire me because I was a skydiver, um, and they knew I was obsessed with skydiving. And so, But now, I think I've proven it to my new general manager that there's a benefit of out being out at Spaceland during the day, and that he's it's taken a lot of work to have them work, you know, to give me the last or to be the last in on Saturday, Sunday. Mm -hmm. It's been kind of a battle um, at first, but then he came on board and he said, no, I get it. Like you want to be out at space and you want to get people and you bring them to come and coach them at iFly. Like we want you to be obsessed with skydiving too. And so it's been pretty cool to see him get on, get on that train too. It was, uh, not a one-way road. It was both ways. Early on in Spaceland, there was a resistance to iFly uh, instructors working at Spaceland. And, yeah. and, you know, it's like having divorced parents. It's like yeah. being a child of divorced parents. And I'm so happy that both sides and both entities can see the advantage because there's zero doubt that we have skydivers who wouldn't be skydivers if it wasn't for you tunnel instructors hooking them into skydiving. Right. And there's no doubt that you have tunnel coaching that you wouldn't have if it wasn't for you hooking our skydivers into tunnel coaching. Yeah. And absolutely, those people are going to sometimes choose one or the other Mm -hmm. and abandon the other. But the thing is, is no matter where you work, they're going to make that decision nonetheless. Exactly. But those people will be able to make – or but you will bring more people than we will lose people. That loss will be natural. Right. That gain will not be natural. Right. So we need those I've seen it crossovers. go both ways. Like There's been people obsessed with tunnel fly, and we get them to come out to Spaceland, Spaceland, iFly. And I will say, since I've said about iFly, Spaceland's also been amazing. I mean, Steven, Nick, you, Hank, my all my bosses there about supporting. I mean, it was a hard conversation, obviously, at first. Like, hey, I want to go do FITP. I want to make this. And I think, there, you know, there's... Space Sun's lost people to iFly, but they've all you guys have all been amazing at supporting 
okay, you can work at space on and I fly. I mean, I re- I really appreciate that. And I know it's not easy for management either, you know, to kind of lose someone to not being full time there, but it's been pretty cool to have that support. You know, as uh, a hard statement, you say bosses, I'm not one of the bosses there. Um, yeah, I knew you were going to come. Yeah. And Hank would be, I bet if Hank's listening, he's saying the same thing. Oh but. no, he's the lead instructor. He is he a boss is, there. But he's always like, I'm not your boss. I'm your like, I forget the word he says, but yeah. he doesn't like to be called boss. Either. Yeah. Um, and for good reason. I, I understand yeah. his reasoning to it. Um, but at the same time, at the same time, I, I am a, a a leader there. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and respect it. I think we all respect uh, yeah. your opinion. Yeah, I, I'm a boss there, not because Spaceland gives me power, but because y'all give me power. I'm empowered by the staff. I think I have yeah. probably more power at that drop zone than the majority of leaders who people who actually have leadership positions at Spaceland. Yeah. I probably have more power than most of them. That's given to me by the staff not given to me by the owner. Mm. Uh, and and yeah. uh, I think everybody in that organization agrees. And it's because, um, do you know who I am? Do you? That's not a question I think is fair. Mm. My question is, is do I know who you are? Mm. As a leader, I'm a leader because you allow me to be. Man, first of all, I, I got to take a break and say, I am enjoying <laughs> Nick not being here right now, dude. If you're watching this on Facebook, I have decided to take yeah. the cow. <laughs> I, I wish I fought for that spot. Like, we're dude, gonna that's ch- a recliner. I told you that there's a little I should have switched it up. I know the guests always sit here, but I like that Oh, spot. no. That side of the couch is super comfy. I remember sitting over there oh, when we were playing dude, musical chairs. I'm crushing life right now. I'm so comfy, man. Um, but do you know who I am? Who I am is nobody without you. I, I DJ Marvin, I own the rating center. DJ Marvin, I'm an examiner. But do you have to use me as an examiner, Justin? No, you no. didn't. You chose me for a reason. Did, would, would I be an examiner True. without you? Yeah. No. Would I be a leader without you? No. Do you know who I am? I am fucking nobody without you. Do I know who you are? Mm. And I challenge all of you leaders out there. Do you know who they are? Without you, Woodbury, as somebody mm-hmm. who came here as a new instructor and sought my guidance, mm-hmm. as Chris Fudal, as somebody who's being trained under me, as a new jumper looking for guidance in a canopy course, without any of you, I would have nothing and I would be nobody. Mm-hmm. So as a leader, do you know who they are? That is the better question. And yeah. so my empowerment, my leadership, my power is 100% because I think I know who you guys are. Because I give you guys the ability to empower me. Mm-hmm. So, and you play a fair game, I believe. I mean, you respect people that are working hard and that care. And um, you want to coach people in a fair way, too. I think um, I'll say uh, th- this next statement is true of me. But I'll actually say this statement is true of you. You will work as hard as uh, you will w- work as hard as for anybody as they are willing to work for themselves. Mm-hmm. In other words, if somebody is going to put a thousand percent into their flying skills, you will give them a thousand percent. Right. But if they're going to give zero percent into their flying skills, you're going to give zero percent. Yeah. You'll do what you need to do mm-hmm. and you're not going to waste your time otherwise. Yeah. But you will waste all the time if they will waste all theirs. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. yeah. Man, it's a uh, hardest part of this show is we've actually been recording for two hours. 
What? No way. <laughs> yes, way. Yep. It's yeah. nine o'clock right now. What's the recording clock at? Two hours, one minute, thirty six seconds. Yeah, nine fifteen. We started a little bit late because we were too busy talking shit and having fun early yeah, on. Yeah, we had some good pre conversation. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> Justin, a- you better not have been recording. No, no, no. Uh-huh. no we, I actually have considered in the past recording some of the pre shows because no doubt we have some really fun pre show shit that we should have recorded. True story. But there's too many private conversations that I just do not ever want to risk those personal conversations getting out there. Yeah. So we weren't. Uh, the hard part is is at two hours I turn into a pumpkin. Yeah. At two hours we 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 call it a, a, a quits. And Woodbury, yeah. I know you were hesitant early on to be on the show for various reasons. Yeah. I really appreciate the time you spent with us tonight. I love this. This was fun. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. I appreciate your patience too. <sighs> no worries. We made it happen. Thank you so much. I respect the show and I respect all you've done with it. So, so now I ask guests this all the time. Okay. Will you do it again? Yes. That's Sweet. Of course. Sweet. It's a much easier decision now. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I think just for anyone listening to still after two hours, thank you. <laughs> uh, I think the main point I was hesitant about that we talked a lot about was being in that transition of like, okay, I'm at space then, now I'm at iFly, but now I'm trying to be at both places. There's, It's been a lot going on with life. So it was nothing against the show or anything like that. I respect DJ so much, but it was more about being in a comfortable place again and yeah. being able to talk about everything and all the transitions and all that has happened. And there is a fear of the awkwardness of being on the show. Yeah, I wasn't... I think I was more like, okay, I want to be in a place where I can reflect on yeah. all of it, too. How so. awkward is it being here once we get started? Oh, I'm super comfortable. I got my water, a little glass of wine. It's homies hanging out. It's just chatting. Yeah. yeah. Justin. With headphones and me waving my arms to remind you to get on the mic yeah. better. Yeah. I move and I talk. So that's the hardest part is staying still and talking. Like I don't this. know if you notice how much I handled the mic tonight I until I got to this to, position. Yeah. Oh, it's Justin. DJ's Hall. a pro at handling that shaft. Right oh, there. yeah. I mean, if you actually watch the Facebook live show, my hand is on the mic more. Justin's not joking when he says that. How often am I holding the mic? Uh, most of the time, yeah. And it's because I move a lot. And I know if I don't hold the mic, I, I have to. And even when Nick is speaking, he holds the mic because he knows that's a problem. Okay. So as we close the show, as we get wrapped up, Woodbury, anything you want to share with your friends, your family, your fans, people watching, listening? Mm, I appreciate everyone listening tonight. And really, I appreciate the people who have supported me. I mean, it's been, it's actually really fun to talk about now. It's been two, like two and a half years since it all started. And um, there's been so many people who have stuck with me through it all. There's a lot of people who, I don't know, haven't done quite that. I mean, there's, there's people who stick, you know, who believe in you the whole way and people who come and go, but the ones who really um, have supported me from day one and believed in it, my family, my best friends, um, the piece of, um, most of the people at Spaceland and iFly, like, I really, really appreciate everyone. So thank you. To the supporters of Woodbury, yeah. without you, she wouldn't necessarily be where she is today. Very thank true. you so much for supporting and creating such a wonderful woman. Aww, to the haters of Woodbury, <laughs> look where she's at now, <laughs> bitches. <laughs> Mr. G, you got anything else? 
No, I don't have anything else. You found the funky white boy music I did. already. It's on a different app. Hit Thank it, guys you, and gals. Ladies and gentlemen, Gravity Lab Radio Film Festival, October 16th. Uh, hit the music button, volume. I don't know what's going on. There it is. Oh, it hit twice. It hit twice. Nice. It's something weird. Uh, guys and gals, Gravity Lab Radio, Blue Skies. Next week, we are off the show. I actually will be on a podcast myself. Nice. Dean Ritchie, the fucking pilot, has started his own podcast in association with Blue Skies Magazine. So I will be taking the week off to actually be a guest on a different show. Woo, so uh, we will be back uh, July 21st with Luis Pernetto from Fly for Life and Carlos Chulo, our boy Rodriguez from Spaceland. Till then, blue skies, go home. We are the fuck out of here. Woo, thanks, guys.